0: This is Jocko Podcast number 89 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. I was sitting in my tactical operations center in Ramadi alone. I was staring at a document on my computer. And I had to keep wiping tears from my face as I read it. The document had been submitted to me by the Delta Platoon Commander. It was an award recommendation for Michael Monsor. And the award was the Medal of Honor for Mikey he had been sitting on an outcropping of a roof in South Ramadi on an overwatch and a grenade which had been thrown from an unseen location actually hit him in the chest and fell to the ground in front of him and he could have jumped away from the grenade and he could have saved himself But if he had done that his teammates that were positioned next to him they would have been exposed to that blast so instead of moving away from the grenade Mikey jumped on the grenade he smothered it and he absorbed its lethal explosion thereby saving our teammates and at the same time sacrificing his own life the morning that it happened September 29th 2006 I got a call from the battalion commander from the first to the 506 an outstanding officer and leader that I respected and admired and this element from Delta platoon had been in the field receiving fire and returning fire most in the morning which was nothing new or nothing unusual but it had escalated and I knew that there had been trouble and when the colonel called me he told me that there had been a a bad fight and then he went down the list of my men describing quickly what their wounds were and what their status was and and pretty much telling me that they were going to be okay until he got to Mikey and I could hear a shift in his voice. It became very grave and very serious, and I could hear the the sympathy in it. And I knew what was coming. Mikey got hit bad. He got hit really bad, Jocko. And I don't think he's gonna make it And my heart jumped through my chest and then it sank back down to my stomach and then erupted into my brain in a maddening rush of anger and horror and gut-wrenching sadness And I grabbed all that insanity and all that emotion and I pulled it back into my mind and I held it down there While I uttered the only words that I could muster Roger that sir And when the Delta platoon commander Who's one of my best friends and a very close friend of Mikey's When he called me we were mechanical we had work to do he debriefed me I listened we discussed the follow-up and the next steps and the resupply and the operational impact of the casualties we held it together and the next day I talked to one of the seal officers That Mikey had saved I talked to him on the phone because he was in Germany already with the other seal that had been wounded badly on the rooftop both of whom would have been dead if it hadn't been for Mikey they were only wounded and because of that they were heading home and when I talked to this Young officer, he explained to me what happened with perfect clarity. Mikey could have jumped away and saved himself, but he did not. His only movement was toward the grenade. Mikey did not hesitate. what kind of a man does that and when I was a brand new guy at seal team one I began to learn and understand what kind of man did that you see as a young enlisted seal at seal team one there were two pictures on the quarterdeck just two. The pictures were of SEAL Team 1's Medal of Honor recipients Lieutenant Bob Carey and Petty Officer Second Class Mike Thornton. And we young guys, we memorized their names as well as the name of the SEAL Team 2 Medal of Honor recipient, Lieutenant Tom Norris. and we read their citations over and over again and debriefed them amongst ourselves but we young enlisted seals we focused on on Mike Thornton he was an enlisted man like we were and we had heard about him. And he was a legend, not only for his actions, but for his reputation as a SEAL, as an operator, as a leader, as an all around badass frogman that we all aspired to be. As a young enlisted SEAL, he was the mark, he was the example, he was Mike Thornton. And a few months after checking in to seal team one I was in Virginia Beach I was going to a school at the Navy base there on Little Creek and one day after work we went to a place called Papa's Pub now mind you I wasn't even old enough to get in but the the chief snuck me in there and as we were sitting there having some food and talking A handful of other seals walked in and and they were wearing their full dress choker whites and one of them was a big monster of a man and he had a rack of ribbons up to his shoulder and the Medal of Honor around his neck and I knew exactly who it was it was Mike Thornton right there in front of me the ultimate seal the ultimate hero standing there in the flesh and my chief looked and he, he saw how awestruck I was and he told me to go over there and say hi, which I did. Now, again, I was a new guy. I didn't even have my trident yet. And at SEAL Team One at the time, as I have accounted over and over again, we new guys pretty much got treated like worthless scum. But when I introduced myself to Mike Thornton, he slapped me on the back and said welcome to the teams, and then he told me I'm from team one, too I'm from team one, too And then he bought me a beer and treated me like I was his brother the man himself treating a pathetic new guy like me like I was one of his long-lost buddies And I never forgot that attitude and that humility, and I would see Mike Thornton occasionally over the years and i and I swear it always seemed like he remembered me at least in my mind. but years later, he actually did get to know me a little bit when Mikey Monsor's parents received the Medal of Honor from President Bush in the White House I was with Mike Thornton again. And after that solemn ceremony, well, we went and we drank and we raised hell and we raised our glasses to Mikey and to the rest of our fallen brothers. And Mike Thornton treated me and the rest of our task unit the same way he'd treated me when I first met him. like we were all brothers and that night now that I had seen combat myself and seen with my own eyes the bravery and the selflessness and the sacrifice that is the very core of our community I finally understood why Mike Thornton treated us all like brothers because we were and we are and with that it is an absolute honor to have here tonight a hero a legend a patriot and someone I'm so proud to be able to call brother retired seal and medal of honor recipient Mike Thornton sir welcome aboard
1: thanks Chaco. thanks Al. and uh it's uh, my honor to be here too um you are an unbelievable warrior as Mikey Mansour I tell you I um, my love goes out to George and Sally and, and everybody there. But uh, that was an unbelievable day to have Tommy and me there and uh, Colin and, um, and uh, Todd Steneff and uh, all the other teammates there. It was a, a lot different than when I received my medal. <laughs> so, uh, but it, it was an honor that these young men are getting the respect that they deserve so much and then uh, to bring the whole team on. When I received my medal, was only Tommy, and Tommy received his medal, it was only me. So God bless uh, the Navy. They're finally getting it right and, and um, honoring these great young men like Mikey, Mansoor, and
0: Ed Byers. Uh, so you recently had a book come out, which is awesome, and you wrote it with your fellow teammate and, and fellow Medal of Honor winner, Tom Norris, and... Also with another sealed Dick Couch, and and the book is called "By Honor Bound." And you know, for me, you know, I was talking about this before the podcast, before we started recording. You, you even though you want to know, get to these really good debriefs in the SEAL teams, and you'd think that there was a, a a vault with all these great debriefs and that explained to you everything that happened on certain missions, especially highly important missions. You'd think that that existed, but it actually doesn't exist. And For me this book was like the the detailed debrief that I always wanted to have You know not only of the operation that you did with Tommy but also the one that Tommy conducted by himself and and both of them are just so well detailed in here and It's just a phenomenal book to get that kind of granular detail of What you live through that like I said even being in the SEAL teams myself for 20 years I never had as good of an understanding at all as I have of these operations now, so thank you for writing it. and you know, I want to dive into it a little bit because that's kind of what I do on this podcast is dive into these books <laughs> I hear you. and and so it's you know I, I had to jump around a little bit, but just wh- talking about your background and where you came from growing up in in South Carolina,
1: yeah, correct. I was born and raised in the hills of South Carolina and my uh My father was my hero of all times. He only had a sixth-grade education, and my dad uh, was uh, in the Philippines from 39, and he got left in the Philippines after (laughs) MacArthur pulled out, and uh, he was one of the Raiders over there. Uh, They did a movie, and I say he only had a sixth-grade education, but he was a guy that everybody respected. He had his own company, and um, I used to ask guys, why have you been working for my father for 30 years? You know, he said, because he... And my dad always t- told me this, and that's what I tried to do when I was in the teams. Take care of your people; your people will take care of you. And my mother gave us love and religion, and and uh, but Daddy was hard as rocks. And uh, but uh, you had the greatest respect for that man, and everybody else that knew my father had the same
0: respect for him. Now, you mentioned that your dad you know had a sixth education obviously he was he was a a hero to you and a successful guy and was able to put things together in his life and well did he ever talk about what he did in the PI
1: not until I had been wounded several times and during my second tour overseas and uh, he said he said I think you'll understand this and I said daddy I understood the first time I was ever wounded so uh, you know wounded in 1939 or wounded in 1969 or wounded in in today's war I think it brings a um, a reality that war sucks any way you look at it
0: yeah there's no doubt about that I I guess your dad wanted you to earn being able to hear good stories from him but you got to get wounded before I'm going to tell you anything (laughs) more than once (laughs) that's a hard man right there (laughs) now I'm going to the book a little bit this is you talking I didn't do that well in school I couldn't read and I still have problems with it. I'm dyslexic back then they didn't call it that you were just dumb (laughs) For me it meant that I simply couldn't keep up in school. I did okay in math, but that was probably the only thing I loved history Otherwise I did poorly. I had to repeat my sophomore year in high school and that really hurt my pride So it's no wonder I got in with the wrong crowd and started getting into trouble nothing serious, but we were mischievous Southern country boys drinking beer and making bad decisions. The sheriff was out to the house a few times and there were was a time or two in juvenile court and I cut a lot of classes. I had 72 absences in my senior year in high school. That's a, that's a
1: pretty 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 legit record (laughs) well uh you could only miss 30 and you automatically failed but i didn't think they wanted to see me coming back so uh uh you know uh to that dyslexia and thank god uh we found out what it really is and uh uh, actually i've never even read the book my wife's read it to me five (laughs) times and i'd make the changes and stuff like that but i do have it on tape and if i hear something i understand it but what I'm trying to say in that is, is let young men know uh, you you may have it tough, but you can redo this. I've been a successful businessman. I went all the way through the ranks, and I got a commission, and I did this, and I'm just trying to say there's only one, and that's what I tell these kids when they're going through training. But you know that there's only one person that's going to stop you, and that's yourself. There's always to get across that obstacle, under it, around it, on top of it, one way or the other. So don't let something stop you, and uh, and for you to move forward and, and make a better life for you, yourself and your family.
0: Awesome, awesome words right there. Now speaking of moving forward, it, it it's is you had like the classic case of the judge telling you, "All right, son, you can either uh." Join the navy, or we're gonna find a, a place that you're not gonna like so much as home.
1: Well, I didn't know this. But, uh, Twenty years later, my father finally told me. Him and the juvenile judge was a. They were friends with each other, uh. and he said, "I'll let you make your first major decision. You go to juvenile, uh, basically six months in you uh, know juvenile hall, or I could turn around and make the first major decision in my life." And I'd saw that crazy movie, The Five Solomon Brothers. During World War II, then I saw the movie The Navy Frogman with Richard Whitmark. And I turned around and I said, I've always wanted to be a UDT frogman. And I saluted, and uh, the, guy, uh, the guy that uh, enlisted me was a second-class machinist mate. And Ned, his name was Ned Johnson, And when he retired, he was back as an E-9. He was a senior uh, enlisted for recruiting in the state of South Carolina. And he tells everybody how he he made Mike Thornton who he was today. (laughs)
0: That's outstanding. So you come in. And did you you just went boot camp and then straight to buds, or you guys didn't have buds? You guys called it UDT uh, training uh, yeah. replacement underwater underwater
1: demolition recruit training. I was supposed to uh, go. I was trying to go straight from there. They said no. We uh, you have to go to outside. Uh, like I say, my dyslexia was pretty bad, and I had to get a ten point waiver just to get into the teams. And they must have needed people pretty damn bad because I finally got my waiver. And I was in Hawaii, and I I came back to Coronado and went through training.
0: And I was thinking about, you know, going through training. here's Here's a quote from you coming through training. We had some instructors who were not only good teachers, but they were real characters. There was Vince Oliveira was part american indian and a plank holder at seal team one he called us pale faces <laughs> 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 And we stood in awe and fear of instructor oliviera Then there was dick allen a black seal who was the navy boxing champion He once sparred with muhammad ali when ali was asked once who hit him the hardest he said it was a Chief petty officer in the in the u.s. Navy named dick allen and then there was instructor Terry Moy who we called Mother Moy it seemed as if he was always watching us making sure everything we did was that we put out 100%. So what I was thinking about during this was when, when I went through I went through in 1991 and there was clearly there were some rules in place but also the instructors kind of did what they wanted to and there, the command wasn't watching them there's clearly there's more rules and oversight Now, I've seen that with my own eyes, but I can't even imagine what it was like when you were going through them. The instructors must have just been able to do whatever the hell they wanted to do to you guys. I tell you,
1: Vince (laughs) Oliveira, the most sadistic son of a bitch I ever met in my life. I tell you, and I was just with Terry Moy the last two days. Of course, this is reunion weekend, and uh, Terry still looks like a gladiator as he did back then. And Dick Allen used to hang us from the pull up bar. And uh, he'd punch us in the stomach. But I tell you, if you didn't keep your hands loose, I mean, if you didn't keep your hands loose, he'd kill you. And, uh, of course, uh, Dick and, and uh, Vince and Dick both have passed, and uh, but they're, the, they're memories. And uh, it's a funny thing about life itself, you know, and uh, it's not what you've done. It's the respect you want to gain from the teammates and dick and terry and uh vince uh, all grain gain my respect and my love and uh though all as long as mike thornton's alive the stories will continue going on so that's what i that's all i want from uh the the, the the my peers to remember who mike thornton is and that's and that's what those guys taught me
0: yeah were those guys were those guys vietnam vets or were they uh, Korean War vets, both
1: a uh,
0: little bit of everything.
1: The, uh, Vietnam vets. Then there was Tommy Hatchett in there too. They used to call Tommy and I after I got in the teams of Salt and Pepper guy. <laughs> He's a great big old black guy and uh, stronger than <laughs> as a damn ox. And uh, you know, uh, uh, actually Vince was one of the original seals uh, in 1962, and uh, he went over to Nam. But of course, back then they didn't know what they were going to do with the seals mm-hmm. during that
0: period of time. So you get a uh, you get done with buds and I'm going to the book here there were 22 guys who graduated in my class 18 from the original 129 Mm -hmm. I remember how lucky and proud I felt as I was given orders to seal team one even back then it was no small thing being a Navy SEAL but it's one thing to be a SEAL and yet another to do the work of a SEAL I thought that was an important little highlight there of like when you get done with buds it's just the beginning really
1: correct. It's just you just cracked open the door So uh, <laughs> uh, th- Then you got to go through the damn door and after you get through the door You got to prove yourself and like like you were saying we were a nobody back then, you know If you hadn't had a couple of tours of Vietnam you were just yeah. trash as far as they were concerned <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah, uh, so going to the book my first platoon was Charlie platoon. We were in country from 1969 to through, or from December 1969 through July 1970 we worked out of a place called Dong Island and it was a great deployment We had solid platoon officers and our platoon petty o- leading petty officer was Barry Enoch One of the finest seal operators at team one when I made my first deployment. He was my sea daddy It was the same for all of us on our first combat tour And it was an active tour seems like every other night. We'd be out and most of the time we made contact I remember we took down a few province level Viet Cong cadre types, and one time we had a good intelligence. We were able to take down an entire VC grenade factory. It was great. So that was your first deployment. When you talk about Barry, Barry Enoch, and actually, uh, Hal Kukendall talks about him as well. He says, Us as new guys, even the veterans, we worshipped Barry Enoch. He was a great leader and a great teacher. What was it about him that made him just that made you guys remember him and revere him so much well
1: I think it's like you were talking about me in your great introduction which I don't deserve that but uh Barry was a leader he he took care of everybody and uh, he's a guy kind of like I looked up to my father he was my sea daddy and uh, he was always there for all of us and me and uh last night tom boyhan and me and wayne hampton and mike Lacaze and uh and Hal Kirkendall we're all getting a picture together and remembering the the, the great guys and we're all we're talking about barry of course barry felt uh passed away a few years ago and uh he, he's another guy you know it's, it's like i say he'll always be in all our conversations and um was somebody we all looked up to you know so uh it's the great leadership, I yeah. mean, that he showed us, in, and not just the leadership as a leader, but the leadership he showed us to try to be a better person.
0: Mm-hmm. And and that deployment, what were you guys doing? You guys were doing, were you guys deploying off of boats? Were you guys going in helicopters? Were you guys going on foot patrols, a little uh, bit of everything?
1: A little bit of everything, foot patrols, basically sampan's, uh, whalers. By that time, we finally got the LSSCs, which were in the late, and then the, the medium-seal support seal support craft. Uh-huh. Of course, we had the Mighty Mo. A lot of our stuff was— What was the Mighty Mo? Oh, it was a, a Mike, big Mike oh, A. Okay. and it had the—you uh, see it had all the, the um, rebar about 20 inches out, so if you got hit by an RPG, RPG. it'd explode there instead of going through the hull. Uh, we did a lot of—like, uh, I was working down that— uh, down at the sea float with Steve Frisk with the KCSs because back then we didn't have that many sills so we would help each other. we If they say we need help we'd converse our people right around and uh, Tom would send uh, the guys that he f- uh, felt should be going so we'd like Rich Solano and myself and a bunch of other guys would go out and help other platoons and stuff.
0: And were you a 60 gunner?
1: I was a 60 I had a stoner 60 and I and I carried a car 15, but I always carried a Swedish K with me all the time and a pistol, I always had a backup, as I call it. a backup
0: and a backup to your backup, a backup. Yeah.
1: So, uh, uh, you know, so we have funny things, you know, and you, and you learn from each other. So, um, it's like that, um, that uh, uh, when we hit that uh, grenade factory, mikey sands jumped out and he had a 60 and his, he he didn't lock down he didn't lock down his uh his hitch and his as he jumped out of the boat his barrel fell out in the water in the river and he's down cool. there digging he's yelling give me one of your guns and i said hell no i'm keeping all my guns <laughs> so uh you know as we all learned. and mike was a great m60 guy he saved our asses many times and uh but um uh, Everybody did their did their job. It's just a, as you were saying; a ago, it was a team effort. And, yeah. and my life was saved by people like Mike Lacaz and other people in my platoon, and and we backed each other up all
0: the time. And and that was a super active. Um, actually, Hal Hal Kirkendall was talking about you here in the book. This is Hal talking. I can remember more than one firefight where we were shooting and ducking, sometimes more ducking than shooting but Mike would be right there working that 60 with a big grin on his face. There were plenty of times when I was really scared, but I'm not sure Mike ever was. He was reliable and brave, but I'm not sure he ever knew or understood fear like the rest of us. He was a great teammate, and my God, he was strong. None of us could believe how much ammo he carried. Sometimes he'd go out with a 1,000 rounds or more. That's close to 80 pounds of just ammo. And he'd swim canals with that load. He'd just shrug and say you don't want your 60 gunner to run out of ammo do you? We got through a pretty active deployment with no one getting killed Then a couple of guys stayed behind to break in the new platoon while the rest of us packed up and left They were two of our best and one of them was killed in a helo crash with three other seals We took it hard when Rich Solano was killed, but I think Mike took it the hardest Mike was a guy who really cared for his teammates. So, so even with all that action, you guys, you guys went through the deployment with, you know, what did you take a few wounded guys, but yeah, no one we got had killed? a few,
1: but nobody was killed. And actually, we were. I was down uh, at Sea Float. And Rich Solano was working with a Gulf platoon, I think, and and that was when the helicopter went down. And, uh, of course, when you come off a hot LZ, you're supposed to shut down your aircraft and check the rotor blades because back then the rotor blades could have a hole and it could last for 30 minutes or 45 or an hour. And uh, the the, the, the pilot of the the helo wanted to get back for a birthday party or something. And uh, the Hilo Fountain, and actually Rich was killed, and Derlin and, uh, uh, was killed, and Toby Thomas was killed. Uh, uh, um, oh, hell, who else was there? Uh, Gardner was killed. So that was one of our biggest. We lost five guys that day, not four. We lost five. And I went down and, uh, and identified the bodies, and uh, it was— you know, I, I've only had one bad dream in my whole life, and it was after identifying that, because rich whole face was completely gone, and the only way I could identify him, he had a scar on his arm. and uh, But, you know, a loss of any teammate, as you know as well as I do, like Mikey, and, uh, and every time... You know, every time I lose a, even a new kid today, which I've been out speaking to their class and stuff like that, you lose a little bit more of your heart. I don't know how much more of my heart I got to lose, but uh, it, it takes it out of you. It, I mean, it, it's, uh, I don't want to see anybody ever get hurt or especially a loss of a loved one. And uh, they're all they're, uh, their lives are just as important to me with the new kids today as Rich and all those guys were important to me back then.
0: You you come home from that deployment and You go into uh, Seal team one Cadre which we actually have talked about on here with Roger Hayden because we still even when I was a uh, uh, At seal team one and I was in training cell. We still called it cadre and that was I don't know 20 something mm-hmm. years later And I never even can made the connection and and Roger and I talked about the fact that you know some of the training that you guys implemented back there the 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 uh, the point man course where you're walking through and the trip wires are there and all that we still did that a lot of the demo we still did um, and and so that's what that's what you did when you got home you went into that training cell being cadre and teaching and you know you, you mentioned here that you learned a lot being an instructor and I always I always agree with that in fact when when I was in the seal teams no one wanted to go to the training department right we all wanted to just deploy just deploy yeah. just deploy <laughs> so when I took over the training. I always told guys, look, if you want to be, you know, if you want to master what you do, you got to go and teach it. And um, you also mentioned Al Huey in here. And when I went through Buds, when we were at San Clemente Island, every night when the sun goes down, we'd sing the song, Goodnight, Al Huey. Goodnight, Al Huey. Goodnight, Al Huey, wherever you may be. And I never knew and still don't know who Al Huey is. Well, Hew- Other than the camp, it's called Al Huey. It's called yeah, Camp Al Huey out yeah. there. And and honestly, I make my kids sing this song. <laughs> when the sun goes down, uh, my me and my kids, we we sing this song.
1: Well, I'm sure you've heard of Dave Shibley, uh, Commodore Shibley. And uh, Al and, uh, and Dave were best of friends. And Al was uh, another mentor, like Barry Enoch to me. And uh, they went through Class two of UDT back in the 50s, and they were all in Korea and stuff, and uh, he led by example again, you know, but I mean, it's kind of like when he talks, you better be like EF Hutton, you better be listening (laughs) and keeping your ears wide open and just... As uh, Al told me one day, he says, you know, good Lord gave you one mouth, two ears, and two eyes, so use 80%
0: of that and (laughs) keep the other one shut for 20%. You'll be all right. And then you, you, from cadre, you had a chance. You went back and deployed again, but you went to Thailand. And went, what were you doing? Teaching the Thai SEALs?
1: We took, uh, trained the Thai SEALs. I was along with uh, Dick Flanagan and one of the finest officers as Tom Boyhan was. A great officer, great leader. And Al was with us on that. And that's the reason why Al and I were so close. Okay. And uh, we trained the uh, Thai UDT and the SEAL Team tactics, and then they went up and worked off the borders. So
0: that's all I can say about that. Yeah. And, and understood and then you got home from that and now it looked like the war in Vietnam was kind of winding down and there weren't full SEAL platoons deploying anymore.
1: No more SEAL platoons basically what we were doing over uh, we were sending uh, enlisted LDN advisors and uh, like uh, a bunch of the guys that were over there with me on that tour was, uh, it was at the reunion and uh, it was kind of funny to get together and, and talk with all of them you know and talk about uh, but we've lost a lot of those guys which have passed in through age or cancer or something, and you know uh it's just, it's you know, one great thing about the reunion you know none of us are getting any damn younger, so you better get out and see your shipmates anytime you get a chance so yeah
0: um the l d n n you mentioned and just to everyone knows what that is, those are like Vietnamese. South Vietnamese uh, seals. And seals.
1: the LDN instance for Luyen and Dai is what it actually in Vietnamese. Was that mean you know? like a warrior from the sea or yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, type. Yep. <laughs> uh,
0: so you get a chance to go back again, and this is funny because typical seal, you know, it's like, oh, we need you go back on deployment again. Yes, I'll go. Please <laughs> <Yeah>. send me. <laughs> uh, I'm going back to the book. So when I got to Vietnam this time, I spent close to a week at Na Trang working with the LDNNs there getting a feel for the what they were doing in the field I'd work with the Vietnamese seals on my first tour back in 1969 us and I saw a few familiar faces you have to hand it to those guys for them there were no combat rotations life was combat 24/7 year in year out they fought until they were killed or as it worked out in the end We lost the war. So, those are the guys you're working with. And, um, I think it's, I mean, you get into the relationship that you formed with these guys, which was, you know, they were all their brothers. Yeah. They were, you
1: took care of them. They took care of you. And, of course, the reason I feel that Tommy and I are still alive today is because of Dane and Quan, which I explained in the book. They were, I'd worked with them on previous chores and many operations. And, uh, they were there there's just like one of us. I mean they took care of me. So that's the reason I handpicked those two guys. That was
0: Dang and Quan. Those were those were guys that you had worked with before. Yeah. Uh Vietnamese SEALs. And so you get to uh inan Am I saying that right? Tuin, yes, tu Okay, so you get to inan this is where you're gonna be working out of and again you're not in a seal platoon. This is a totally different situation. And what you had there in Tuinan, if I gathered it all correctly, you had five Enlisted seals from seal team one and then you had two seal team two officers And then plus with those two seal team two officers who were sound like they were more junior guys Maybe it was their first deployment But then Tommy Norris showed up as well as the
1: OIC. Um, yeah uh, Shively captain shot Commodore Shively he had all the seals UDT EOD divers everybody and then Tommy Nelson was our lieutenant commander in 03 and he was the head of all the sils. Tommy was the senior sil operator in the country. Then we had Ryan McComby and uh, another lieutenant. that was there. Then they were all they were all East Coast guys. Right. Now we had actually I, I think we had uh, more like uh, eighteen enlisted guys. Oh, okay, and, and we and we broke it up. Uh, uh, and uh, Gary, uh, Gary, uh, Chamberlain and Harry Conocoa went with uh, Lieutenant Huth down one thing. Then Ryan McCombie was our boss, and I stayed up. So, uh, everybody had had many tours that went down south, and I had uh, the, uh, the most tours, and, and I stayed up north. Uh, with uh, Ryan McComby then Tommy would go back and forth uh, to run operations of course it was hard to get uh, AOs approved because uh, you know it was pretty at that time we were fighting in Quantree and way City and all that stuff and they were trying to overtake it but uh, we still were able to get our ops in
0: and um, you had what two squads of LDNN and what made up a squad of LDNN
1: uh, approximately, I think we had, uh, we had more LDNs than we did, but we separated those guys too. Uh, I know when we went on the operation, uh, Woody, uh, was, we always had a seal, as you know, on an insertion extraction mm-hmm. craft and Woody had a, uh, we only had three LDNs on the op with us, but he had another six or eight on okay. on the boat, the boat, if we needed some supply
0: so and 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 I got to mention this because again it's half the book of by honor bound is we've been throwing Tommy Norris's name around here and when he showed up to work with you guys he had been in country for some period of time and he had done this this multiple pilot rescue operations the
1: bat 21 mission and Tommy was It'll say that I knew about his reputation and he knew about my <laughs> reputation and uh it was kind of funny Tommy and I only operated one time and that was out of operation but we were of course still best of friends and uh uh I know when uh we uh resubmitted Tommy was put in for a medal and it was resubmitted uh and then he was upgraded to the Medal of Honor later on and uh Greatest friend any man could ever ask for. And uh, I look back on the officers, that, the leadership we had on, like I was saying, Tom Boyhead and Captain Shively and, and Tommy and, and uh, Ryan McCumby and, and, and Norm Carley. And, um, you know, even when we were in six with Marcinko and stuff like that, it was uh, uh, we had some great leaders, you know, and all those guys took care of their people. That's what I really uh, looked up to them for, for always – being there for the troops, you know. They may chew your ass out, but nobody
0: else is going to, so. (laughs) Now, once Tommy shows up, they, uh, you you start getting the the mission tasking for this mission that becomes, you know, the mission. And the Paris peace talks were going on, but, you know, Tom, Tom was saying that there's no, at the operational level, you guys were like, oh, that's great, but it's not changing anything for us on the ground, meanwhile, they're, you know they're they're attacking Way City and uh, it's just hard and so Tom goes down he gets called down by uh, by the Commodore Shibley. Shively to to get a mission tasking and this is this is uh, Tom Norris talking. Uncle Dave had me take a seat in his office. That's what that's what you guys called the Commodore, apparently. Yeah, uncle uncle Dave. Dave. I never called any of my Commodores <laughs> Uncle, at least not to their faces. <laughs> uh, uncle Dave had me take a seat in his office, and I could tell he had something on his mind. Tom, he said, the Vietnamese commander of the LDNN wants to run a SEAL reconnaissance mission to the mouth of the Quantri Quan Viet River. Is that right? Quantri River. Quantree River. Specifically, he and his superiors want to know about the defenses and enemy disposition around Quantri Naval Base, and he wants a Vietnamese LDNN officer to head up the reconnaissance team. I want you to run the operation to ensure the mission gets done properly, but this needs to be seen as a Vietnamese operation. So that was the tasking, doing doing a reconnaissance. Correct pretty normal operation? I mean, it's pretty standard. It sounds like you guys were running those type of operations fairly regularly.
1: Yeah. uh, Basically, the NV-8 already moved across the Quaviet River, so that was the... We knew that, and we knew and they were trying to take over Quantry again, and uh, and they attacked on Way City. That was in April, and this was in October Mm -hmm. when this thing was going down, so we knew it was hot and heavy up there, but uh, uh, Tommy said, yes, you know, you never said no to Uncle Dave, so... (laughs)
0: <laughs> and and so you guys decide or, or, or Tom, you know, lets you know hey, let's do a small a small group You're gonna take five guys correct? two Americans and three Vietnamese Seals right obviously the two are you and and Tom Norris and Then the three the three guys that you're gonna take with you the three Vietnamese that you're gonna take with you uh, Two of them were your hand selected guys Quang Dang and, Dang. and Quang right. and then there was another officer the other guy was an officer right right correct, correct. And he was lieutenant. I've heard you tell the story in here, uh, he's called Lieutenant Tuan.
1: Yeah, we but got it. You different always call him Ty. Well, yeah, but we put a different name in there because uh he kind of made the operation go south.
0: <laughs> got it. Got it.
1: Uh so here's the basic concept of operations. Well really the funny part of it. Uh, Tommy said, "I'll do the mission if you let me choose who I want to take." Because oh, okay. back then we had a rotation, basically where everybody get a chance to go in the field. And with I always went in the field with the new guys and stuff. And and uh, he said, "I'd like to make a choice." And Uncle Dave said, "Well, I bet you I know who it is." And he said, well, we've never operated together." And he said, "I bet you it's just Mike Thornton." And he said. Uh, Yes sir, that's who I want to take with me on that operation. And actually Woody was supposed to be going in on that operation. And uh, but we took Woody on the uh, the insertion extraction right. uh, uh, means of transportation.
0: And that's 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 Bill Woodruff. Woodruff who you talk about. Yeah, who, yeah. And we'll we'll get into what his role was. Um, here's the here's the overview of the mission. And this is this is Tom Norris talking. It was not a particularly difficult mission. And it was certainly something we'd done before, so we knew the drill. In general, it was about a fifty mile transit from Tuinan up the Quivet River in our boats with a max speed of about eight knots. That was little more than six hours so you're talking about a six-hour transit the plan was to get well out to sea so no one on the beach could know which direction we were heading north or south once we turned in this case north we'd make our way up the coast then turn west back into shore then we hope to be on station off the southern bank of the Cuyvette River soon as possible after dark we'd then leave the junks and paddle in close to shore on rubber boats And then swim the last uh, swim ashore from the rubber boats we'd insert do our job and get out before first light we didn't have to be back at Tui Nan before first light but we sure as heck wanted to be back across the beach and away from the coast before Sun up I was told I'd have offshore Navy support in the way of two destroyers so if we were running a little late in getting out of there I'd have some friendly on-call fire support so that's a real standard mission that you know when I first got to team one we did that not not the exact same thing mm-hmm. and not real But we train it all the time you're gonna get on you know mark fives And you're gonna have your zodiacs on there Then you're gonna get a little closer to the beach and once you get close to the beach You drop off the zodiacs then you get, get a little bit close to the beach And then the last thing you do is get out the boats, swim in you go do your operation, so Kind of standard stuff, and you know he says it's not something you hadn't done before correct right. um, Here's what you were talking about with when you're talking about the LDNNs, going back to the book, the LDNNs came in all varieties of experience and capability and courage. On this operation, we had three very good ones. Lieutenant Quan was a first-rate LDNN officer, and Deng and Quan, this other Quan is an enlisted LDNN, no relation. Were two guys I'd worked with on my first tour, and was with them again in Tuyen. Deng and Quan were good to go. But the problem was Quan, the officer. And well, he, well, Quan was hurt, and that's the reason the other we, officer. Yeah, the problem was that Lieutenant Lieutenant Kwan he liked to get after a little bit sometimes. Well, it's like all of
1: us. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: maybe he had too much to drink the night before, <laughs> right. and so w- he what he get of Some kind of accident or what happened? Yeah, to him?
1: He, he was riding, a, and a whaler ran into the pier. He hit his head and they busted both his eyes and he couldn't even see as they were both completely <laughs> shut. So, uh, this is how we got the other new officer, which I have never worked with. But, uh, but I'd worked many tours, I mean, uh, not many tours, but many operations with the other two guys. And I'd worked with Quan and he was really good. But of course, he was unable to make the op. So, they, uh, we brought in another young officer, which I'd never operated with.
0: And this other, just so everyone knows, as we're going through this, the other officer that you now brought on that you hadn't worked with before, his name was Lieutenant Thuan. Yeah. Is that am I saying that right? No, but I'm not gonna get his real name out. <laughs> Got the Vietnamese speaker in here tightening me up. Uh, so, you had the the Navy was out to sea. the two things the Navy was supposed to help you with was helping you guys do navigation. Because Correct. in this time, no GPS. It's so easy now. I'm embarrassed by how easy yeah. it is. And obviously, fire support if you need it. Uh,
1: yeah. Well, basically, what they were supposed to do is vector us in, and that's where each ship takes a radar plunge, and they shoot it in, and they see where we are in, in the junks, uh, which are uh, 39-foot concrete junks is what the uh, – and uh, then they would see where we were, then they'd shoot us at azimuth, and then we would take our compass, and we'd go in there. Uh, one of the ships shooting is they were trying to overtake Quan Tri again, and he left and went down south to help give gunfire support uh, to uh, to help the uh, Vietnamese Army and Marine Corps to hold off the NVA. And uh, when that, that one guy shot the azimuth and he was about three degrees off but when you're 15 miles off the beach three degrees is a lot Yeah. and uh, everybody said uh, the CEO said that's the river right, it actually it was the uh, Ben Ha River which was actually in North Vietnam so when we went and inserted we are way north of the Qua Viet
0: Now you had talked about uh, Bill Woodruff, Woody you're referring to him as an important point here and this is something we always try to hold true to uh, you won't always put like a seal with your assets if you can Correct. manage it so you got a seal out there on the boats that are going to be recovering you because it's a guy that you know it's a guy that you trust and you know he's not gonna leave you hanging no hanging. this right and uh, you know that's a good lesson learned for Anybody doing operations right now I don't care what unit you're with if you're in the Marine Corps and you're using an army asset try and put a liaison officer with the army If you're in the army and you're using a Marine Corps asset try and put a liaison officer Same thing with special operations because those are the guys that speak your language They're gonna be able to predict what you're gonna do if things are going sideways It's just a, it's just a smart move to do um, And then you know you talked about how these things started going wrong and you're you're off the coast and instead of being uh where you thought you were you're at the ben high river which is basically we're south of the ben high so we and tommy and
1: i discussed it and uh he said "Well, we'll go ahead and go in we'll do what we call a horseshoe out we'll go in so many clicks and go north and then go back to the east back to the ocean and and try to if we can uh, pick up uh you know if we could do it, we were doing a body snatch too. Of course, mm-hmm. you, of course, by a body snatch, you get your best intelligence that way. So,
0: man, we used to do direct action missions to go capture bad guys, mm-hmm. but we didn't call them body snatches. And I'm kind of wishing we did. It sounds a lot better to do <laughs> body snatch. <laughs> Maybe I should have named those body snatching operations. I would have found, felt a lot better about it. Uh, so and. and Tactically you're going in. It's pretty normal Um, you swim in it's pretty normal you get on the beach and Here we go back to the book. This is you talking I was carrying the starlight scope a bulky first-generation night vision device that allowed you to see relatively well at night It was the size of a loaf of bread and weighed eight pounds Tommy told me to scout the beach area to see if I could find any of the features we were looking for or expecting to find like the mouth of the river. I went north about 200 yards from our position and the same distance to the south, and with the starlight scope, I could see a good ways up and down the beach. No river mouth and nothing looked familiar. Tommy moved inland just a short distance to look the area over with his binoculars. Neither of us saw anything that indicated we were, where we were supposed to be. So, and then like you said, you you know you're in the wrong space, but you might as well do in reconnaissance while you're there, and that's kind of the the decision that's made um, And I was thinking about this too so I was thinking you guys only have five guys and the, the Idea behind that must have been hey Let's travel light and we can maneuver really quick and then I got to this list of what you were carrying Here's what Mike was carrying Mike talking. I was the mule on a recon patrol. I carried a car 15 carbine and just over 800 rounds of 5.56 ammunition along with an assortment of a dozen fragmentation CS and smoke grenades I also had three law rockets and a starlight scope all of us carried a medical kit and inflatable UDT over-the-head life vest I also had our silenced weapon a 22 caliber automatic pistol with a suppressor attached to the barrel we called it a hush puppy so not exactly light for <laughs> for reconnaissance and moving I was thinking you guys would, tr- would try and stay all slick, but that's that's no joke what you were carrying Now as you're patrolling you start seeing fires and eventually you see movement you see bunkers and And Tommy says I think it's about time we get the heck out of here You say roger that sir. It's about zero three hundred. You got about three hours of darkness left and You get into a stream Correct. And start moving towards the beach.
1: Well, for three different reasons. One, that keeps show a low silhouette. Uh, we knew that we were within a battalion of NVA at that period of time. Then we saw tanks and gun, in, gun emplacements. So uh, we knew that we were way north of where we were supposed to be. So uh, by getting in the stream, the tide range is 18 feet over there, so the the current was running out so we knew it was going out to the ocean so we got in there by keeping our low silhouette in there we could move a lot faster mm-hmm. in the water and we didn't uh, hopefully uh, we wouldn't bump into any of the enemy out there which were starting to uh, move around at that time in the morning so um,
0: now you start hearing something correct and you know you halt the patrol and you see what you see is uh NVA soldiers a bunch of them it's like an encampment correct. of NVA uh, soldiers and they and and correct me if i'm wrong but from their position and where you had moved to in the stream now you're looking at them and and as you move to the water, you're going to be exposed. Is that is that the situation? Well, actually, they were
1: in a base camp type deal, and it was a quick reaction force. And okay. We knew the main force was behind us. Uh, of course, that's, uh, that exposed us, kind of cut off our southern route. So to the north of us, which we knew we were going farther north, there was that big lagoon, as, as the map show. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we would have... Uh, to our uh, eastern flank, we had the ocean. To the western flank, we had the uh, uh, the lagoon. And then to the south, we had the bad guys that we knew of. And to the north, we had some sand dunes. And uh, But uh, we could see, uh, uh, after you pass this one big bunker, you could see f- nothing but flat beach. So we figured that would be our best uh, Objective to move up there, and Tommy got on top of this. We thought it was a big sand dune, but actually, it was, a, it, was a, it was a bunker built, and it actually had
0: tunnels down inside of it. So, and that's the one that you did a recon and you found that bunker, yeah, found the bunker, and then you
1: brought Tommy there. Tommy went up there with the radio, which was dang, and that gave us, you know, of course, back then is the radios for PRC 77's <laughs> line of sight, which you uh, so yeah.
0: Yeah, and he's trying to make comms back to uh, Woody, and Woody, or back to the ship back if anything's
1: needed. The, the ship was in Newport and using in the USS Morgan. That's what the ships were. Then we had we finally got Woody, but Woody was down off the mouth of the Quavit. He thought you know after he got uh, their bearings, so they were a long ways
0: off from where we were. So, at this point, Quan, you guys are you guys are in that bunker, and Quan comes running back. And he says, "Dieway Norris, with the starlight scope, I see two men coming down the beach. They're quite a way off, but they're heading our way. Mm-hmm. So, then you, you seem like you come up with a plan right there of what you're going to do. Yeah, which to me, I'm like thinking, well, I'll, I'll let you brief what your plan was. But you see two bad guys coming down the beach, yeah, and your idea is cool. It's time to do our body snatch.
1: That's correct. And I figured, uh, uh." The officer, which name is unmentioned, he was big, he was a good size. He's like five nine. Wait, he's and a strong. I mean, athletic guy. Right. And so uh, this is
0: the other Vietnamese or the Vietnamese uh, officer. Uh, officer,
1: uh, Kwon. he's a big guy. Uh, yeah. So I put him down on the beach because the uh, the high water line and these guys were walking up and down the high water line. And the other guy was about a hundred. 150 100 yards ahead of the, the guy because the other guy was walking up in the sand dunes and mm-hmm. i figured we got to make sure we knock him out let the other guys just walking by because he's just tootling down the the uh the uh, coastline looking around and uh so i said i, I sent kwan down with the hush puppy not Quan but uh, the officer and i sent him down and i said i'm on this guy's gonna walk by us, but when the other guy, I'll take him out. And then I had Quan there with me, and Quan, after I, I knocked him out cold, and when Quan got him, he taped him up and mm-hmm.
0: and, and uh, secured him. So and, the two guys are the two enemy are walking down the beach at a pretty good distance apart. Correct. And you say, okay, I'm gonna me and Quan will go get this guy, we'll capture him, right. and then Lieutenant or this Vietnamese Lieutenant, you go and get this other guy. Correct. And you, you said kill him, right? No, I said if you could
1: take him, take him down. Okay, got it. But he's right on the shoreline, so the waves are breaking. That's making a lot of uh, turbulence and noise. And then and, and the other guy's up in the sand dunes. He's at the high water line, walking around got looking it. like that. Got so it. I knew he would be the last one there, but we had to make sure we took him out for sure. Right. And then I told the officer that he could go up and take this guy out or eliminate him or just make sure he didn't go back to the village because the village is uh, on down the beach. Right. And uh, he, uh, he stood up and yelled, "Lie De Ma Lin in Vietnamese, that I doesn't mean stop, come here. He's got an AK-47, uh, the bad guy does. He's got a, 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 you know, a 22-long hush puppy, which <laughs> is about from here across this room. And uh, you know, he's out there like that, and then the guy opened, fired on him. He's running back towards Tommy and me, and I'm running past him because I know he's on his way to the village. And uh, as I say in the book, you know, they didn't have radios like everybody did, so mm-hmm. what? Sometimes they would, the way they would uh, uh, send uh, information. They'd shoot so many rounds in the sky, and somebody would answer back. But they changed all the time. But at that period of time, he only shot off two rounds. So I hopefully that didn't mean something bad or good, and. Uh, we got to the uh, opening of the—he um, went across the uh, creek uh, the, the creek bed, and he was heading straight to the uh, entrance to the village, and I dropped down to one knee, hit two shots, hit him in, uh, in the back. He fell down, and the next thing, all hell. Those 50 to 75 bad guys were chasing us down, and, uh, and I was heading back to Tommy. And uh, we got back, and I, went, I moved out on the point, as the book explains, so mm-hmm. I let it go from there.
0: So so when you when you grab, or now you're heading back to Tommy, and that's in that big sort of bunker dune thing? Yeah, yeah, And so now all you are co-located in the big dunk bunker.
1: Uh, no, actually, I'm out on the very point. Okay. And Tommy was up on top of the bunker got with it. Dang. And they had taken our the guy we did capture up there, okay. and he was up there. So I moved the officer to rear security and told him if he sees anything let Tommy go and I put Quan over on my eastern flank which is the side of the ocean so I was about 50 feet ahead of him 50 yards ahead of him so I could cover I could see everybody coming in so I was kind of like the point but I kept Quan over to on the ocean side if they tried to flank me he would knock them off then I could see them lagoon over here I could see the lagoon and so I could see everything out in front
0: of me and now the enemy starts coming for you
1: came forward a- so.
0: and and you start you know engaging them taking them down
1: and engage them and what I'd do I'd come up over here I'd roll over and come up somewhere else I'd throw a grenade over here I'd move back throw another grenade I'd I'd move forward up where the grenade hit because I would by that time and uh that gave them a frost pretense as how many people we had. They didn't know if we had 12 or 15 or all they right, did, and right. Tommy and them were shooting from up there, but Tommy was on the radio trying to get communications. And
0: what Tommy was trying to get communications from, and just to kind of lay this out a little bit, the the ships had been told, hey, we might need fire support. Correct. Well, when you and whenever you set up fire support for yourself, you always set up. What we call pre designated firing positions. So, hey, we you know you name them whatever you're going to name them A B C D one two three yeah. four. You give them girls names, whatever car names, but Alpha, it, Bravo, Charlie. yeah, it's real easy to jump on the radio and say, hey, fire at position Bravo now, and the you know whatever fire support can start hitting that.
1: That's that's great if you're where <laughs> you're supposed to be, <laughs> and, the, and that's the issue. Is so
0: Tommy starts doing his best and saying, hey, fire rounds at. This pre-designated spot. Go ahead. They fire rounds at that pre-designated spot. Couldn't guess see what? It. Couldn't, Couldn't even see, see it.
1: Them. So they started moving north at that period of time, and they were shooting smoke in the air. And and uh, the firefight went for almost uh, almost three hours. Actually, two hours and fifty five minutes. And we had eliminated all, a lot of these guys, and they started falling back. And uh, so there's
0: five uh, of you that are making like 30, 40, 50 guys fall back. Well, just four of us because got it the other guy never shot a round (laughs) out of his weapon (laughs) and that's just you're taking good fire discipline correct uh
1: one or two rounds at a time making good hits making sure what i'd do i'd shoot in the sand about an inch and i'd see their heads come up then i'd shoot a uh, about an inch below the sand and i'd get a headshot every time so you could tell that and then you'd roll over you know, then with the grenades, you were knowing that we were getting, as you mentioned, what a grenade. Of course, we have a four-second delay in ours, and and their their grenades that we had uh, pulled those things before, and they would go anywhere from fourteen seconds to twenty-eight seconds.
0: <laughs> they don't have good quality control in their grenade factories like we do. Uh, let's see. Yeah, you you're, you're talking about that. You're sending guys off now. You're you continue to shoot you're continuing to hold your position. You're you're about halfway through your ammo at this point point. And then speaking of these grenades you're in one of these positions and boom in comes one of those grenades to your to your spot What would you do about that?
1: Well, I yelled grenade, and I grabbed it and threw it back. I was going 1,000, 2,000, 3,000. About the time I hit 8,000, the damn grenade came back over, and I'm going 12,000, 13,000 because, of course, we're doing thousands. and I gives you a good second, I threw it back. And and the the grenade went back and forth five times, and I was at 21,000, 22,000. I said, this thing's got to go off, and it went off, and I was hit six times, and my back was shrapnel and I just yelled out I didn't say nothing else and when I yelled out I just stayed there and I looked up and there was four guys coming across and I eliminated all four of those guys and that's when we found out they started falling back and Tommy said they're falling back and I said that's it he said are you okay I said you know I'm, I'm wounded but I'm okay a week. I'm still very very mobile and uh, of course the adrenaline's pumping like God knows what and uh and uh uh and you don't worry about yourself you st- just, just you, you know you need to get out of there that's all we knew
0: now uh, at this point it seems like they're falling back a little bit and it looks like from from the way it's described there's basically another dune that's a little further back from where you are approximately 500 yards and that's to the north to the, the north, north. Going right by and
1: itself. I mean everything else is flat except for that one dome.
0: And so what you what you guys hatch the plan real quick All right, let's get to that thing. It's further away It creates some distance and then from there we can eventually get in the water and get out of yep. here and You know I talk about cover and move all the time and and that's like the fundamental principle of, of how we fight and In in a normal situation you would just get little terrain features and you'd move back a little piece at a time because uh, Because that's how you support each other in this one there was nowhere to hide right. in between those two no so you guys made the call of tommy and who, who's
1: going to stay up there who's tommy and dang to- the gonna stay up there and tommy said you fall back because at that period of time i was the only one that had any uh been wounded but what we did, I looked across, I had a pair of binoculars, I looked across and I said I couldn't understand why, because I counted almost 100 guys and Tommy said there's a lot more than that. And it was a NVA battalion, they were trying to encircle us. Oof. And uh, and by the time I got back, uh, as the book says, uh, Dane comes back by himself, because Tommy had been shot in the head at that period of time.
0: So. so- so you guys they put down cover they put down cover fire for you, right, and then you fall back You're doing what you're supposed to do mm-hmm. and you got the Vietnamese lieutenant and you got Kwan with you on with me you get back to that position and That means Lieutenant Norris is still up in the big bunker getting ready He's waiting for your fire support and and while that's happening I, I'm gonna go to the book uh, Right here, I was asking for naval gunfire right onto our position. Mm, correct. And he says those rounds could have hit dang and me just as well as the bad guys, but I had no choice. The guy on the radio came back and said, Understand fire for effect. And I said, Absolutely, put it on us. And he said, Are you sure? And I said, Just get it in here. And so they had actually, as they were calling in this naval gunfire, mm-hmm. Tommy was like seeing guys coming and like through the grace of God a one big round hit there Mm -hmm. they hit them it and and got a lot of bad guys and then Again going back to the book. I went back to getting the law ready to fire. That's a law rocket. I could hear the ship shooting But that's the last thing I remember and then the narrator comes in and says at that point in the fight Tom Norris took an AK 47 round to the left side of his forehead the bullet entered his skull at the orbital socket of his left eye tore at a section of his skull exposing his brain and cut a shallow furrow along the brain itself Deng saw his officer go down and the extent of his head wound his lieutenant had been shot dead knowing there was nothing he could do he made for the others who had just taken a position on the next dune to the north As he ran, he took a round through the radio he still carried on his back, knocking him down. The round destroyed the radio and saved his life, but fragments carried through into his back. Dang picked himself up and kept running. It took him close to ten minutes to reach Mike. Where's Tommy? Mike asked Dang when he reached him. Where is Dai Wei? Dai Wei is dead, Dang replied. And this is it so you know your trusted Vietnamese fellow seal says hey look the lieutenant that's Daiwei, Wei, is lieutenant he's dead and this is what you do I'm going to the book here I told Kwan and the others to wait here that I was going back for Tommy they tried to stop me saying it was no use he was dead I believe them I too thought he was dead but I wasn't going to leave him behind we never leave anybody behind so no way was I going to be the first to do that had I been wounded or dead he'd have come back for me that's who we are dang said he was dead and I had no reason not to believe him it didn't matter and what if by chance he was still alive I could not have lived with myself if I had left him behind not knowing or what the NVA might do to him if he were still alive that whole area south of the bunker was littered with bodies and they would be looking for revenge I had close to a quarter of a mile to cover and the last part of it was uphill but I ran all the way the initial salvo from the Morton that was the ship out at sea, although I didn't know it at the time. That it was the Morton shooting had made the bad guys think twice about advancing on the dune with the bunker. When I got close, I saw them moving carefully toward the bunker. From where I could see, they were flanking the bunker and moving in from the east or the beach side as well as from the south. I saw Tommy lying on the west side of the bunker. Two guys were climbing over the top as they moved in from the east. They moved cautiously and got within a few feet of him. I shot them both and moved to where Tommy was. He had an unbelievable head wound. The whole side of his forehead was gone, his brain was visible, you could actually see it. The front lobe of his brain was kind of pushing out through his skull. I could see why Dang said he was dead. I sure thought he was. I picked him up, put him over my shoulder, and started running. I also grabbed his AK-47 as I knew I was getting low on ammo I hadn't taken more than 10 steps from the bunker when there was this explosion behind me from naval gunfire round the concussion picked us both up in the air lifting Tommy off my shoulder and tossed us forward 10 or 15 feet I literally saw him move my shoulder leave my shoulder and fly through the air When I landed I sat there for a moment stunned trying to orient myself and catch my breath Once I sorted myself out. I crawled over to where Tommy was lying in the sand Once I got to Tommy again and started to pick him up he spoke to me for the first time he said Mike buddy and That was when I knew he was alive. I said can you run and he says I can run, but I can't see But he really couldn't run. Then he blanked out again. I put him in a fireman's carry and took off for the dune to the north where I had left the others. I heard him talking now and then, and I guessed he was fading in and out. But I knew he was alive. And I put all my energy and focus to covering the ground between where we were and the other dune.
1: Well like I said you and you and I've talked about the camaraderie and the uh respect we have for each other and even though Tommy's much smaller than I am he would have done the same thing for me and I know that so so uh, it's like you say you uh, you know if you die which we're all under we understand what our job bar is as, as being navy seals but uh I could have never lived with myself, knowing that if he was dead. I thought he was dead, but uh, with the grace of God, he's still with us. <clears throat> so as we, I was running back with him, I got shot through my left calf, and through my uh, uh, my left calf, and I fell to the ground. And we got back, and there was Quan and Dane giving us cover fire.
0: Were you uh, like when I've done stuff that was maybe not the safest things in the world, mm-hmm. I I never was really thinking like oh this is dangerous. Were were you thinking, uh oh this is really dangerous, or were you just oh he's over there and I got to go get him because that's yeah. what we do. Yeah,
1: that's what we do. So that's what it is. You don't, you know, fear is a good thing, but you got to focus. I mean. If you know, I could have sat down and said, Hey, we we're all gonna die, I'm just gonna lie here and, and do it. I, but I said, I'm gonna take as many of those SLBs down as I can. And, uh, you know, and the thing is, is that, um, uh, uh, it's like we go back to what we are in in the camaraderie and going through training and why we do things and things like that and i think that brought up was my father as i go back to i look about it because my dad never would have left me behind or anybody else behind you know and that's what's instilled in us as we go through training and that's what's instilled us you know Uh, i know tom Boyhan was saying last night he said you know i don't think you ever knew what fear was Well. I knew what it was, but, I mean, being afraid, you know, if you worry about being f- afraid of everything, you should never be in the field because you're not focused on what what you're trying right. to do. So that's the whole thing is, you know. So we're yeah. out there to do a
0: job, so let's get the damn job done. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me. I, I, would, I think guys would feel more afraid when we were getting ready to go in the field. When even me, you know, you, when you have time to think, like, oh, we're going down this street, which has had – you know, yeah. seventeen IEDs on it in the last four days, and there's guaranteed to be another one on there tonight. With the question is, is it going to hit you? or Is it going to hit someone else? And that's I would see the look on guys' faces while we were getting ready to go out, and it, you could see a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. But once you're in the field, everyone's doing what they do. They're just doing yeah. their job. Well, yeah, it's like flicking the switch,
1: you know, yeah. light switch. You get 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 your mind into what you're supposed to be doing. So. If a guys doesn't have his mind in the game he's gonna stay at home he ain't going out in the field with Mike Thornton I promise you that
0: <laughs> now this is one of my one of my favorite parts of the book that is well I'll, I'll read it when I got this is you talking when I got back to the dune dang and Quan were waiting for me providing cover fire lieutenant Thwan was nowhere in sight he'd already made it for the water to escape but god bless dang and quan they waited for me and were still in the fight even though dang was wounded they said mike what do we do now and i said we swim <laughs> <laughs> which is the classic seal scenario in that the water is our salvation you, you know yeah. it's like it, we we have that special experience in the water and and People aren't comfortable in the water and it's our home and that that was just the classic answer these guys are saying What do we do now
1: remember? We're combat swimmers <laughs> not combat runners, but the running does help
0: <laughs> <laughs> so Now now talk about when You're getting now you're moving to the water. You're sure. carrying Tommy. What what goes on then? Well? uh, uh I, I
1: didn't inflate Tommy's life jacket as some of the stories said. I, I, I was using Tommy like a surfboard and every time a wave <laughs> would break I'd push him underneath okay. the water and bring him up the other side because the worst thing you could do is have a wave. And we had six sets of waves coming in and that's how Kwan ended up getting injured he got shot. And uh, so after I got Tommy out that's when I put and I could never find Tommy's life jacket and he had it in a pocket down on his calf, and I said, "Why?" He said, "Well, I wonder if I get a bullet hole in it." I said, "It's good because we can put a piece of tape, in it and then you know, if you have a you know sucking uh, chest wound, I can uh, take." So I took my life jacket off, me put it on his head, and I took the you know the old UDT, I took yeah. the harness, but I just put a little bit of air, and I started uh, breast stroking out to sea, and that's when I saw Quan was in uh, not going anywhere, and uh, I could see Dang out in front of me. And so I swam over and grabbed Quan And I uh, put Quan in front of me And Quan had been shot too He had been shot Pretty too. bad in the, Yeah, in, 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 the, in, in the back femur And also his buttocks was completely
0: kind of gone <laughs> So he couldn't So I uh, So you're wounded You you got shrapnel in your back You got shot in the leg like, You got Lieutenant Norris Who's basically unconscious, dying yeah. And now you got Kwan, Who he can't move himself He's immobile as well Correct And Dang is leading point as you guys are paddling out, and you're carrying both these other guys through the water.
1: So what I did, I took Quan and put his arms, I put my arms underneath Quan's arms, and he held Tommy like this, and I started breaststroking until we got out past the uh, range of their weapons. And at that period of time, I inflated Quan's life jacket with a little bit, then I actually tied his life jacket to my waist, and I towed Quan and swam with Tommy on my back.
0: Um, here's again a typical. I think this exemplifies the seal attitude right here. This is uh, you talking. Every time Tommy woke up, it was Mike, you got everyone? I could only count four of us. Where's the other guy? I'd say, I got them. I got everyone. And then he'd drift off again. Then when he woke up again, it was Mike, you got everyone? Do you have all of them? And I'd say, damn it, Tommy, I got them all, okay? They're accounted for. But I I just love the fact that, you know, you got a guy that's clearly close to death. And when he does become conscious, his number one concern is, does he have his guys with
1: him? His troops. And that's the way great leadership is. Sometimes people surpass that because they, you know, but... It goes back to the thing that you and I were talking about earlier. You take care of your people. Your people will
0: take care of you. Now, um, you get out, you know, past, like you said, past the small arms fire. And, and again, Deng and Quan keep asking, Mike, what do we do? What do we do? And each time you said, we swim. We just keep swimming. We'll swim south all the way to Tui if we have to. That's correct, and that's what you did. You yeah. you start. You kept swimming and kept swimming and kept swimming, and, and you're out there for three hours swimming. And and just to put that into some perspective for people that have never swam in the op- open ocean before, the longest swim that you do in SEAL training is five point na- five nautical miles, which is f- six point two statute regular land mm-hmm. miles. And That takes depending on the current depending on how good of your swimmer you are That's the longest swim that they actually make you do and that takes like three four sometimes five hours That's the longest swim that they make you do and by the way they give you a little water break in between so here you are Swimming this and you're wounded shot in the leg like I said you're dragging these other guys now luckily Bill Woodruff and we talked about this earlier. You had
1: he saved our life. I mean, Bill he wouldn't give up on us. He would not give up. He kept looking for us, and they and actually the Morgan thought they had killed us all. They thought, and they never knew until yeah. several years ago that we were still alive. No, that's that's
0: actually a great and, and got, again, obviously, I can't cover the whole book on the on the on, on this show, but get the book because. Uh, Uh, There's dick couch did a great job of actually going out and talking to the people that were that were firing Talking Mm -hmm. to people on the Morgan and you're right they they fired rounds and all of a sudden they didn't hear anything and They fired danger close rounds meaning like rounds that we know are gonna be very close to our friendly forces And then they never heard another word so their thought was you know horrible we must have hit our own guys and uh, But luckily and and the other thing that's interesting about Bill woody woodruff is the other lieutenant Correct. the vietnamese lieutenant had actually gotten out to them and told them hey this is what happened the lieutenant got killed mike went to go get him and never came back that's so, what he
1: got told so the word got back to woody and he called the newport news and they went out with the navy blue that tommy was dead and i was missing in action and uh, they were still looking for Quan and dang so
0: Uh, okay, so here's actually here we here here in the book and again dick couch did a great job getting back with all the all The guys that had were there mm-hmm. or at least a lot of them and he's he's talking to To Woody here Bill Woodruff. He says It was about 1130 and I saw the Newport News begin to move off to the south Then my junk skipper got a call from the other junk that was off to the north and slightly inshore from us We were about a half a mile apart so as to better search the area. They said they had swimmers in the water and were going to get them. You can't know what that meant. So there it is. uh, Because Bill stuck around.
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh, I I have the greatest admiration and respect for Bill. Uh, I'm glad that Bill found us because Bill was going to do a counterattack. And then we had... Ryan McCumbie down in Tuenon, getting a bunch of guys, everybody else that was left to come and find us. So that goes back to the, uh, the things about taking care of your teammates, you know, and 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 thank God they did find us because uh, none of those guys would have made it. Because I mean, they had over six hundred bad guys up there, so they, you know, and, you know, sometimes you, you don't want to leave nobody behind, but sometimes you got to take your losses too, you know.
0: It was the. Uh Two things, and I, I, I've heard this from other SEALs from Vietnam. Two missions, there's no question we're launching on is down pilot and SEALs in trouble. We're going. Yep. And that's what those guys that were still in Tui were doing. They were getting ready to
1: they, go. They were, coming, they were coming after us, you know. And uh, I hate to say it, but I figured we'd have lost everybody trying to get in to get us at times. Because, like I said, they had the gun in place and they had tanks in there. We, we weren't the. Uh, Heavy duty guys, but that that goes back to even what we have today with you know like Eric Christensen trying to go in and uh, losing the guys that you know we go we're going to go in and get our boys back out and uh, uh, you know and, and and you know we passed the baton on back from where I am and these these young men who serve us now I have the greatest admiration. They're a lot smarter than I am because they. Uh yeah I mean, you, you got these kids going through training now. They're all yeah. got college education, but they're enlisted guys. They just yeah. want to be in the teams.
0: And the training they do is awesome. Oh yeah. Way, way better than, than I had it when I went through. They're they're and they're, they have very high standards. Great guys coming through. Um so you guys now get back on board but obviously this isn't over yet because you got severely wounded yep. I mean, especially Tommy Norris and you uh, you actually told them bring the Newport News back because there's a
1: correct there's a doctor I knew there was a doctor on board because it was a Navy cruiser and they had a lieutenant commander on board and I called Woody and I said we have four WIA and one critical and uh, and they Newport News did turn around and we started steaming and, and our junk Woody was on the other junk. Our junk got there first, and uh, we passed down a, a, uh, a, a boatswain chair, then we passed down a rigger, then we put Tommy inside that and got him up there. And uh, I actually picked Tommy up out of it and carried him down because it, the thing was too wide to get through the hatch, so I picked Tommy back up and carried him down and laid him on the gurney in the doctor's office. And, uh and
0: I got called to the bridge to debrief the Admiral of what was on This is a uh, again a great find by dick couch another another seal that that wrote the book another Vietnam seal and He, he found a guy named uh, Chuck Zender and Chuck Zender was a corpsman on the USS Newport News mm-hmm. And I'm not sure why why dick couch found him or how that worked, but th- he's the guy that he found and he's Talking about when you guys came on board and what was interesting was that uh, a few months before actually a month earlier they'd had a a turret explosion on the USS Newport News and it killed 11 killed 11 11 and wounded 62 Mm -hmm. and so they these the medical staff on that was they were kind of primed luckily they were used to they had just been through basically a horrible mass casualty drill and they were somewhat Ready for it, which you know again by the grace of God They were they had some recent experience with dealing with wounded and and so that's why they were ready for this And that's according to uh, Chuck Zender this this corpsman and here's here's Chuck Zender Talking when they came aboard they were a pretty scruffy lot my job in handling casualties was triage. I saw them first, evaluated them, and sent them on to a senior medical person, corpsman, or doctor for treatment. I remember seeing this one American. I couldn't believe his head wound. His forehead was simply blown away. I had two thoughts. One, it was a good thing he was in salt water or he'd have bled to death. My second thought was, this man will not be alive in the morning. He went straight. To Dr. Fulcirio Ferciro, who was waiting for him in surgery. There was this big guy who was with him, and he carried him from the fantail to the sick bay. We had to force him to let go so we could treat him. He wanted to go into surgery with him. So that was you. That was me. Obviously. And uh he also said that when when they came out and said, "Hey, we need to check you out," and you looked and you said, "No, the Tommy comes first. The rest of us can wait." Um, this is Chuck Zender t- talking again. While we were treating the Vietnamese seals, I kept my eye on the big American. I finally got him to sit down so we could look him over. I saw blood on his pant leg and I cut into his trouser. I saw a bullet hole in his leg my eyes got big and I called another corpsman over to look at it I said we better treat that and the seal said something like yeah whatever he just didn't seem to care but he did care about the others and kept asking about them especially his lieutenant we knew he was a lieutenant because the other big American seal said he was he had no rank insignia on him so again your number one priority is your teammates sure um, another person so to, so you guys make it back uh, the ship gets you back to land Tommy eventually gets casualty evacuation to the Philippines
1: yeah I uh, got on the radio and Ryan McCombie and uh, we met evac Tommy off uh, uh, on, by helicopter to Da Nang and Ryan flew down on a helicopter and he was waiting in Da Nang and Ryan stayed with Tommy Then he sent a 141 because uh, we knew we were going to get our POWs Admiral Stockdale, Bud Day and people like that out and uh, uh, so all the top doctors you know, neurosurgeons all those guys were over there because they had already pulled everybody out of Vietnam with the exception of just general practitioners And uh, by the time we got Tommy through the whole operation, got him to the Philippines, to Clarks, it was almost 19 hours long, the uh, MEDEVAC, then his operation lasted 19 and a half hours, his first operation. And they stayed in touch with us, but I stayed on board the Newport News to the following day to take care of the Vietnamese spoke English, but I spoke uh, uh, pretty, I mean, I I was fluent in Vietnamese, and so I stayed on there until we got them all
0: patched up. This is the doctor talking, Major Walter Grand. He's the neurosurgeon that they had to get this guy, get, get Tommy Norris to in the Philippines. Correct. And he says, when he arrived, we took him directly into the OR. At the time, General Military Battlefield Protocol... Held that the patient needed to be needed to be or should be conscious going into surgery and I was surprised that someone with this serious of a head wound would be conscious and conversant fortunately he was he was still dressed in his operational gear which were blue jeans and a black t-shirt of some kind as I was conducting my initial examination I remember that he was conscious but but just barely I could tell he'd been through a lot Then he seemed to come more alert and ask, Sir, can you tell me about my men? I know we got them all off the beach, but can you tell me if they're okay? Till the end. (laughs) Yeah. uh, it's, uh, It's the teams. Now, they get done with the surgery that you're talking about incredibly long surgery and here's the doctor talking again on removing the bandage and inspecting the wound we talked and I sensed that he didn't know that he no longer had a left eye I was reluctant to tell him as he had endured a great deal but he was a pretty tough fellow so I told him that we were unable to save his left eye he thought about it for a second and then said do you think they'll kick me out of the Navy because of that? I said that I couldn't really answer that, but I took it as a good sign that he still wanted to be a SEAL.
1: And the funny part, it wasn't the eye as much as it was the loss of the front lobal part of his brain. That was
0: uh I actually don't uh, think that's funny, sir. I don't think it is either. <laughs> <laughs> so when you say that, what do you what do you mean? That what was the uh you're saying, "Hey, they're not going to kick you out of there, even though you've lost part of your brain." Yeah, well, I, I
1: think that was uh, one of the, uh, the we talked about it because he wanted to stay in. He he was uh, already uh, chosen to be a lieutenant commander at that period mm-hmm. of time, and uh, of course, you own medical hold that does that goes to stop. And uh, but Tommy would have been a great he would have been a great admiral. I mean, he really would have uh, done us proud, as of Ryan McCombey too, and then a few other guys that didn't go up through the ranks of uh to the top but we've had some great leadership up there and, and um, Eric Olson Bill McRaven uh, uh Joe, Mc, Joe Kernan, uh, McGuire, Burt Callen. I mean, the, the way you look at I watched the teams grow from this. 04 yeah. was as high as you could go and still be in the teams, and now look at, I look at their thing, and the guys, are they just amaze me every time I look and read something or something, how much I'm so proud of each one of these young men and who serve this great nation of ours.
0: Yeah, uh, it, it's amazing Again that the the attitude is just constant, and you know I had this with my guys that got wounded that none of them wanted to go home they no. wanted to just stay yeah they didn't care if they just had to sit and stay and watch they wanted to stay with us in Iraq
1: uh well you know I mean how proud all you guys were when we were there with Admiral Olson and you guys were receiving your awards in the Pentagon you know yeah. after Mikey Mansoor and and you know you look at uh, the Geyser and uh, Job and those guys that you know of course uh, he lost his life in a, a very basic operation and uh but you know, the, even though when they they had the diversity against them, they continued to yeah. strive to make their life better.
0: Well, Ryan Job's the classic example. When oh, he, yeah, he was yeah. blind in both eyes. But, he was telling uh, me he wanted to, He was already back in America, and he's on the phone telling me, "Can I please come back to Iraq? I want to be with the platoon."
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, he goes and gets his college education, and yeah. has a beautiful family, and uh, he's. I remember there when I, uh, I was able to put the Purple Heart on him. Up down and Tommy and I were there with uh, Admiral Olson, of course. Uh,
0: was uh, that in, at Bethesda? Where was that? Was that in the hospital?
1: No, no, no. He was at the Pentagon. Oh, okay. Remember oh, the, oh well, at the awards ceremony. At the big awards award yeah, okay. that We had for you guys the yeah. big ones. And then we went down and he gave other from the, yeah. the Team 3. Yeah. We gave uh, Colin Green was there. Yeah. Admiral Green was yeah, there. Yeah, the, the, it was yeah. awesome. It was the yeah. task yeah, unit yeah, bruiser.
0: The, uh, uh award ceremony at the pentagon yeah <laughs> <laughs> we were all uh, pretty surprised to be there doing that yeah but yeah ryan Job. so you guys put the purple heart on him there yeah got so, it so yeah he's had the same attitude that you hear from tommy norris uh, yeah. hey can i stay in can i be there be with the guys uh how much longer were you in vietnam after that operation mm, that was october 31st and
1: i came home Uh, on a break in November and then I came home for good in uh, January. So then then everybody left in March Mm -hmm. of 73 and Woody and and the rest of the guys, they stayed there and they came back uh, as the final thing. Brooksy and Woody and Mm -hmm. Chamberlain and Harry and all those guys, Bill Bradford and stuff. So uh, And uh, that was uh, the last sales of course then we got involved with Delta platoon you know with the Cambodia issue and all that kind of stuff and the Philippines and stuff like that
0: you uh, you talk about coming home here I'm going to the book coming back to the team this time was different from my first Vietnam tour when you were labeled a one tour wonder which is by the way still what you get called in in this day and age when you come home from your first deployment or even from my Thailand tour at seal team one you were not a made man until after your second combat rotation it was not so much respect from the team veterans as many of them had been on four or five combat rotations it had more to do with acceptance I was now one of them when guys like Gary Gallagher and Walt Gustaval and Doc Sell came up to you and said, nice job over there, or good work getting your lieutenant back off that beach, it really meant something. There was also getting to know my kid who thought I was some stranger, which I was, and getting reacquainted with my wife. I'd been gone more than I was at home since we were married and there was the absence of combat both the worrying of having to go in the field and in some ways missing the anticipation of getting ready to go on an operation and the rush that comes from combat I looked at all this as normal for any seal coming home but it was still an adjustment so you guys same stuff the guys go through now.
1: Yeah, correct. correct you know, you know. Same
0: exact stuff guys go and, through now.
1: And, and, and our spouses don't get enough credit for what they do. I mean, they raise our kids, They families. They take on, you know, stuff that we should be there to mm-hmm. try to help them with. But, you know... We have amazing spouses, uh, you know, in the teams, too, and we have a, a lot better. You know, the first thing I mentioned, my wife, they said, well, she, well, did the Navy issue her? No. they just, <laughs> Now we have a whole different outlook, thank God. And, uh, you know, they're, they're part of our lives, and they should yeah. make it better for all no, of us. The,
0: uh, the military wives, all the military wives. Oh, yeah. The, 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 each and every the, one of them. What they do. Yeah, they're raising the kids, but they're also fixing water heaters and, you know, repair and plumbing, and they're just doing everything in the house, like yeah. you said, stuff that, that we're supposed to be doing uh, if yeah. we're home.
1: If we're home. So, they have to put up with all the BS with a man <laughs> taking a car in there trying to, and, uh, hell, I know how to change oil, they, they say, you know, they don't try to pull <laughs> that one over my eyes.
0: So. <laughs> now going back to the book this is you talking I was notified in September that I would receive the Medal of Honor a lot goes through your mind when something like that is going to happen to you you try and play it down in your mind like it's no big deal but it really is a big deal everyone in uniform knows it's a big deal I felt humbled and undeserving and I swore that I was not going to change me
1: Well, you know, Mike Thornton's always been a renegade and probably <laughs> always will be a renegade, and, and I wasn't going to let it change me. And uh, so, uh, you know, when I went back to get the medal, they wouldn't let Tommy out of the hospital, so I kidnapped him and <laughs> kept him for So, So Tommy was
0: hand. still recovering from the head Yeah, he was, he was still going. And this to, is this is what, a year later? A year later. And Tommy's still, I mean, he's just going through all these, uh, all all these uh, surgeries and everything else. Yeah. I mean, Tommy went
1: through surgeries for six and a half years, and it still goes even now. So, uh, you know, it's uh, unbelievable. I mean, uh, so uh, it's, it's, it's— But they wouldn't let him out of the hospital go to your ceremony. No. So I said, hey, this is not—I said, I'll bring him back, you know, and they said— No, I said, well, I'm going to get in trouble when I take him out, so I kept him for four days (laughs) put him in my hotel, and never feel his name. And uh, everybody in the world's looking for it, and the Surgeon General of the Navy, which is a three-star, put me on report. And uh, I had to go to Admiral's Mass, but that's okay. It's not my first one.
0: You know, uh, Tony Fratty, who is the Charlie platoon chief, we used to to talk about Mike Thornton, and, Mm -hmm. and we'd say, you know, just on random days, we'd say, hey, you know what Mike Thornton's doing today? Whatever Mike Thornton wants to do today (laughs) (laughs) So you just smuggled him out of the hospital against orders went to went to Admiral's mast (laughs) Uh, You talk a little bit about the ceremony here going back to the book we showed up at the White House for the ceremony Then we were all taken to the Oval Office, and I was presented with the medal I'll never forget President Nixon saying Mike. What can I do for you? And I said, "Well, Mr. President, you could break this medal in half and give the other half to this young man, which was Tom Norris you were pointing to, standing behind me because he saved my life too. so again even even in the end there you are uh you're looking out for your teammate, all right, all the way through."
1: Um, we still look look at it for each other even today after 46 years. So I mean (laughs) you never it's, it's it's, It's a job that you never give up
0: well the book like I said, I mean we've covered a fraction of the book and It gives so much more detail. It goes on to talk about the rest of your Navy career It goes on to talk about and and obviously it talks about Tommy Norris's career
1: as FBI agent. as the
0: FBI agent, by the way, went into the FBI and was an undercover operative. I mean, just unbelievable, unbelievable. Yep. You got to get this book so that you can get the full uh, details of what I'm talking about. And, you know, the last thing I wanted to read from the book is um, the citation from your Medal of Honor. Please and, don't.
1: They can go online and read it. But the book's called By Honor, <laughs> Bound," Ladies and Gentlemen, and I tell you, uh, uh, I, uh, I never felt I deserved the medal, never feel I would deserve the medal, but you know that I uh, wear that with the honor of the men and women who serve before me, serve with me, and serve after me. But a lot of people don't know we've lost 2,853,000 people this great nation does enjoy our freedoms today. And that's who we can never forget, and freedom is not free, and uh, we must honor each and every one of them, and they all deserve the medal that's given their lives for this great nation. And of course, Mikey Mansoor, uh, like I said before, w- what a great young man, I knew Mikey, and uh, uh, I feel for all our Gold Star families, and uh, cause I've never, knock on wood, I've never lost a child I've lost a lot a lot of close great friends and uh, I know what what part of they're going through but you know until you lose a a child of your own that God has blessed you to give uh, it's hard for people to understand but freedom is not free it's written in blood as you know Chuck
0: well yeah and You know, I I can't even fathom what it's like to lose a child. I know, uh, you know, it's I can't I can't even fathom. And you know, when I hear people uh, throwing the word hero around, you know, I I always I always say what I hear a lot of veterans say, and that is, the real heroes didn't come home. I agree with you
1: but at least we did get them home and we still continue to try to get the ones the remains of the ones home um,
0: well you know the uh, like I said if you go and get this book you can you can read it you can learn a lot about the, these operations you can learn a lot about people And what people are capable of and what real sacrifice looks like and you know Mike again um, like everyone's gonna want to tell you and tells you all the time thank you for the service that you made for our country but as a seal I want to say thank you for setting the example that we followed and as a person and as a human being thank you for showing us that we're all capable of more than we thought and no matter how dire the circumstances no matter how many enemy forces are advancing no matter how many rounds they're firing at you no how many Grenades they throw at you no matter how big the problems that you face in life Never quit on yourself and never quit on each other Very well put there Draco Sir I Think we've kept you here long enough
1: well echo i'm sorry you didn't get a whole lot of speaking time there buddy
2: no
0: enjoying the listening <laughs> that's what echo does <laughs> you know. he, he's, he gets the lucky job He just sit back and listen to awesome stories <laughs> mm-hmm. but um thanks for coming on uh, it's my
1: honor thank you for what you're doing and uh getting the word out to the public and uh because uh it's like I say, freedom is not free, ladies and gentlemen. Freedom is written in blood. And please don't take advantage of this, you know. Give back to the ones who are given so much. And that goes back to what you and I were talking about, too. I mean, the uh, the wives, the children, the sacrifices they make for their for their spouses to go overseas and keep this nation free. And what's the organization that you have now? It's called the Michael E. Thornton Foundation. It's the Met Fund Uh we give out money, uh, and, and I don't give out, you know, 50000 or or 100000 I give out uh, 10000 here here, 5000 there, and, and our, our, our Met Foundation basically, or I'll give out 20000 you know. And uh, just a, a couple of examples, one was a young Marine, came back, he was a corporal, they retired him, uh, but of course it now it takes him anywhere from 19 months to two years to get into the VA. He had these bad headaches, but he'd have enough money to pay for his, his co payment So I write a check to the MRI, to the hospital. I wrote write the check. They do an MRI, find found out he had a brain aneurysm, and was able to save the young man's life. Yeah. Another one, we had a guy in special ops. Uh, he was an Air Force major, intel officer at JSOC. He was overseas. His wife got diagnosed with... Uh, Stage four cancer. We put her in the Duke University. They tried to save her life. Uh, a friend of mine goes back to the day when we started CIL Team Six, and uh, along with started JSOC in 1980. He was our chaplain. He was a Catholic chaplain, and he calls me up and said, Mike here you get a great foundation. I have a problem." Well, I said, "What is your problem?" I do due diligence. We were able to get their kids into the back in this. Uh, Christian school, which all the kids, they are raised from the age of 7 to uh, 10 or 11. I can't remember. And uh, there's three of them, but they had spent their whole school time there. Uh, but the father causes the coal payments, which they had already built up to a, like hundred something thousand dollars for the coal payments. I paid for the kids' tuition, wrote a check, which was a little bit over $18,000, you know, for all, mm-hmm. put them back in there. But at least they had a... stable platform and everybody knew what was going on with the mother all the teachers knew the kids and stuff like that and then at that period of time I go back and I make some phone calls to some good friends of mine in New York City and they took care of the over the hundred and something thousand dollar payments. So I put a Band-Aid on the problem and then I try to go other. But I mean. You uh, call
0: for fire support. The, yeah. fire. So yeah,
1: <laughs> But I mean, I work with the, uh, the Navy Seal Foundation, Navy Seal Family Foundation. The, uh, we work with uh, keeping our history of the museum, uh, uh, which John Lee does a great job that we do up at Pebble Beach. The Marine Corps Law Enforcement Foundation, which is the number one foundation uh, uh, in the nation, I give her $0.99 cents of every dollar raised. And I give $0.97 cents of every dollar raised. Uh, I do have one administrator I, I pay for it, uh, so my wife and I can travel around and and, and take care of that. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, but there's some great foundations out there. I just tell them, make sure you do your due diligence on their foundations. You just go online and check them out, and if they're a four-star or five-star and find out but all the foundations I work with has got to give at least 94 cents of every dollar raised out to out for the calls. Where can they find your foundation? Just pull up uh, the, the Matt fund. Okay. Uh, online is MET I, Yeah. Fund. Uh, the the Matt the, fund okay, or it. the Michael E. Thornton. I put my name on it. The buck stops with me. If somebody's pointing fingers, they only got one finger to point. I'll take full responsibility of what I do, so as I always have. You know, don't do uh, And I have people like Bob Carey, congressman that used to be a Medal of Honors on my board. I have an Admiral on my board. I have uh, two really great businessmen on my board. And uh, I have supports of uh, people all over the United States, which help support their cause. They said they used to give money to other foundations, but they didn't like the way the money was being supported. So they give me the, and I, and uh, like I say, we make sure we take care. I mean, if like somebody blows up the engine, having the engine having a bad month, they got laid off, and uh, we pay for their rent. But we write the check to the. We don't give it to the person. We give it to the uh, complex, or we give mm-hmm. it to the hospital, right. or we give it to the doctor. So that way, I know the money's going where it's supposed to be going, so they can get the, take care of their uh, problems.
0: Well, obviously, uh, your service isn't quite over yet. You're still serving and still helping veterans and SEALs across the board. And once again, sir, thank you for coming on. It's been an honor knowing you. It's been an honor talking to you. And I look forward to talking to you again sometime. Well,
1: we will, Jocko. (laughs) Just keep doing what you're doing, and Echo keep him out of trouble. Yes, sir. (laughs) Thank you very much for having
0: me on. Thank you. All right. We just took a technical break, and Mike Thornton has left the building and went to go do what Mike Thornton does.
2: Whatever you want,
0: which is pretty much whatever he wants, yeah, yeah. And uh, it was awesome, obviously having them yes, on. Agree. And when Mike Thornton tells you, "Don't read my citation," <laughs> you don't read the citation. <laughs> was,
2: Simple as that. <laughs> that was awesome.
0: No factor. Yes. No factor at all.
2: Yeah, yeah. Go online
0: and <laughs> read uh, it. But awesome having them on, obviously. And now we want to keep having people like Mike Thornton on the podcast. If somebody wanted to help us Have people on this podcast sure do you have any suggestions on how they could? Maybe lend to that effort echo Charles
2: the support sure. Oh,
0: yeah, like basically that's what I'm saying a way to support
2: you Yeah, yeah, of course Here's a way Mm -hmm. and support yourself Mm -hmm. That's kind of the thing, you know What's good for the goose is good. You know what I'm saying? Mm. maybe origin We're in league with Origin, as you put it.
0: Yes, I do put it that way. Sure.
2: Yeah. So Origin Maine. So Origin Maine, Maine, the state. Just so to be clear. Yes. Origin M A I N E. Oh, you
0: mean it like you might be like Maine M A I N. Okay, no. You know, like the state,
2: the main one, kind of, kind of, which makes sense, by the way. Yeah. Because it is the main one. one. (laughs) Totally. And so you know, a lot of times, like okay, we'll take the geese. That's how I first heard of Origin. By the way. The geese mm-hmm. They're like all oh, these geese are dope check it you know and of course you know but that technically is kind of a matter of opinion as far as like okay I'm gonna look at this geese. Okay. And be like okay no I'm gonna because someone this might
0: like Ford more than Chevy yeah, or whatever whatever yeah, yeah.
2: Okay. or the look especially with the geese like you, you know the the subtle differences kind of you know it's to each their own kind of thing yeah I
0: guess you're going like full-on fashion realm here which I don't go into. Potentially, yeah. I'm looking for functionality. You probably could have guessed that. Yes.
2: So yeah, and you look into it, so the functionality part, yes, all that, of course. But when you say made in America, this is like the epitome. This is the, de- the basically the defining situation. Mm-hmm. So you know you know how they'll be like hey made in America but then you know it's closer or, or whatever yeah. we'll say in this case closed but then you say oh, okay dang those are good shirts you know where do you get your blanks from or whatever but, oh we get them from you know somewhere other than America mm. kind of thing no the cotton get the cotton from America that's what origin did mm-hmm. that actual th- cotton
0: yeah well when you do talk about functionality just kind of FYI yeah uh, when you have a guy that's making the geese, and therefore it's going to weave the material to make the geese with mm-hmm. he's gonna make material that is specifically the best to have for a gi right that's the situation with origin yeah, that type of commitment yes that's why we're in league with origin yeah <laughs> totally makes sense Because <laughs> we're kind of we have that mindset over on this
2: side makes sense well, so so yeah origin that that's the one um, I'm looking forward to my gi mm-hmm. And I'm down for geese by the way mm-hmm But um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to that one origin main o r i g i n m a i n e mm-hmm Just to be clear just in case That's And a good one. it's
0: not just geese yeah, you can get the hash guards. The hash glad yeah, and we're gonna be making Everything there yeah, we're gonna be making everything there everything that I utilize in my life yeah,
2: I'm gonna make Dang. Like the, the so you're gonna kind of come out with almost like a life kit is really what it is. It's a kit. Oh,
0: don't use the Reebok terminology, bro.
2: That's Reebok terminology. Yeah, this
0: is because the Reebok calls it like the UFC fight kit.
2: Ah, uh, okay. But I didn't know that. Man, no, nah, no nah, kit. Like the word kit is a universal. No, word. the word kit is a
0: universal word. Yeah, which yeah. I do concur with. Right. But what did you call it?
2: The kit. That's what I called it.
0: Uh, I guess so. So you the could Brits call it- the Brits call it kit. They call their op gear like kit. their web gear. Yeah. They call it kit yeah which means that we also because we have interoperability with the Brits and with the Aussies sure so we also tend to call our gear kit right? so yes in fact you are correct if you were to say I'm gonna make all my kit there right. the answer is yes but there's a fine line where people might think of the UFC fight kit which didn't go over real well when they first came out. Yeah,
2: hey, and you know we're gonna let that be their thing for sure um, As far as it going well or not going well This one what would it be like kind of like the dis the unofficial discipline equals freedom kit
0: how about we just call it gear?
2: Yeah, we could just call it gear. I guess
0: that's my vote. All right uh, I don't rule the world well, so if no. you want to call it kit on your side, and I'll call it gear over here. Yeah, yeah. let's do that you know, that way you're comfortable. I'm, a, yeah. I'm all about everyone being comfortable with what they're saying.
2: Technically, it'll be a kit with gear in it. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Because oh, well, that's, like that's a
0: traditional use of the word kit. Right, right. That's what like, I mean. Like, hey, okay, you got like a like, survival kit. Yeah, I got a survival kit, kit. when I was yeah, six yeah, years yeah. old, and it's got a compass and a whistle and a pair of matches in it. What happens if you use both matches? You're in trouble. <laughs> So that's a survival kit.
2: <laughs> bro, why do you have a, a whistle? You just said whistle, yeah, by the way. Okay. Yeah, because right. you know
0: when you're a little kid, you get lost in the woods. You're supposed to blow on the whistle for a while until no, they find you.
2: No, sorry, bro. not not in Kauai. That but, didn't happen hey, in Kauai. No, not that I know. What'd you
0: do in Kauai when you got lost?
2: You just keep heading in one direction <laughs> and, and it'll you bring you to the ocean. Yeah. yeah, or or up in the mountains. Yeah. So it's kind of they call it Mauka and Makai. Mauka is mountain, Makai is ocean. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the directions. Yeah. So otherwise, you just keep walking. Uh. That's a good
0: lesson for life too. Bro, we Keep got going. lost
2: in the mountains one time. Long story. Maybe some other time. Back to Origin. Please another time. So boom. Origin Maine. All made in America. Yes. Rash guards, geese, all that stuff. Yes. This is like, yeah.
0: And by the way, supplements there too. Yeah. Supplements. Origin Labs. Yeah. Yeah. So you can find it all there. Yeah, it's dope. And and we are going to make Basically, what we're talking about here, jocko supplements. Because again, yeah. what do I specifically want? I'm pretty particular. Let's yeah. make that thing.
2: Yeah, and, and and then we go forward. The good part about that is too is you're kind of one of these guys. You can rest assured you're not going to have like this these weird extra things. Like I don't know, f- you know, hair dye or something like we that. We will not
0: be selling a hair dye.
2: Yeah, 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 or something like this. So yeah, that would be good. The good stuff for sure. Originmain.com. Yes. Also. Support yourself. So on it, I am not going to go into my kettlebell situation again this time. Actually, yesterday I worked out. I didn't do kettlebells. I did. I I saw somebody tweeted
0: you that was it was like an article that said that those little goblet squats were not building.
2: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and and that was a funny article for Uh, sure. I kind of laughed. You know what the title was called? Something along the lines of. I'm trying to make remember it exact. It's it was called 14
0: ways to avoid being bigger. No to to
2: remain a puny little weakling actually puny I think no dweeb dweeb the word dweeb was in there Yeah, so apparently given number whatever number that was I'm gonna remain a puny little dweeb apparently here's the thing Uh, Are those really goblet squats though cuz goblet squats? No,
0: I know what you do you do the. You basically do a front squat. Yeah double rack
2: double rack Yeah, cuz goblet is like cuz this is the form the shape of a goblet right here, and that's how you hold it. Yeah, it True. is kind of. I mean, but well, what if you use like a huge ass kettlebell, well, then part maybe, of a metcon? Yeah, that could work. In fact, I mean, respect to the author of that I forget who wrote it or whatever, but it was a real subjective, really. Yeah, you know. I think it fact, was more of a, like honest, a shock
0: article, kind of. Yeah, you know, it, it was, was, like, it, fun, was, it, yeah, was yeah, it was a laugh. It was for a good laugh, one. you know. Yeah. But if you take, that I don't seriously. think it was like a serious directive out there trying to help people that have skinny knees. <laughs>
2: Proud of them, maybe. You seem yeah. real proud of them. Look at you. Anyway, <laughs> I didn't really like the article on that level, but for a laugh, it was good.
0: And and factually, here's the deal: kettlebells are legit.
2: Yeah, and they are. And goblet squats are legit. squats are legit. But here's <laughs> the thing: there was a good point.
0: Hey, y- yeah. I'll tell you what. You know, we were talking about what you what you uh used to. You're good yeah, at yeah. What you're used to yeah yeah. For some reason, I hurt like my wrist or something. Yeah. Or I hurt something and mm-hmm. I couldn't do back squats or front squats. Oh yeah. So yeah. I was do yeah it was maybe it was, my, maybe it was my shoulder. Anyways, I was doing goblet squats mm-hmm. with the uh, with my big kettlebell, yeah. which is forty kilograms. And I, I I had put on the schedule of what I was going to do yeah, like yeah. twenty five. It was a bunch of it was a metcon scenario. A, so, yeah. But the first number was twenty five. It was 25 twenty five, twenty fifteen. Oh the reps yeah yeah those were oh, the reps. Gotcha. 25 hurt yeah
2: yeah I was like,
0: dang, because it's only it's only 88 pounds right that should be in that should be pretty insignificant yeah but you really do when you do those goblet squats yeah you're using your whole body to keep that thing yeah yeah it's good let me think my yeah
2: Yeah, I think I'm used to it now I think that
0: yeah and I got used to it in a pretty short period of time yeah that's what was cool
2: yeah
0: so on it you can get that kind of stuff there.
2: If you want the cool ones. Mm. I think, and I don't know, because you know, I haven't ventured out, and I, I don't think I ever will venture out to go see where I can get other kettlebells from. No need, really. Because <laughs> you can buy the regular ones or the, the dope ones. And let's face it, man. You take enough pictures of the dope ones for your Instagram, wherever you take pictures for, and you kind of can't go back. You can't.
0: Mm-hmm. So you Keep p- that you in painted mind painted yourself into a kettlebell yeah, corner
2: exactly right and you, know you're, and
0: you and your social media Yeah, have painted yourself into this yes corner,
2: which is not a bad thing necessarily On a dot com slash jocko. That's where you get these things. I painted
0: myself into a corner with my social media I'm gonna wake up every day at 430.
2: Yeah, you got to post it
0: guess what the other day I got home at 3 o'clock in the morning, or I got I didn't get to sleep until like one thirty. 30 when I woke up in the morning. I was really tired. Yeah, and uh I was you know what am I gonna do I'm I'm painting in the corner I had to say hey guys I do it I'm 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 going back to sleep and I actually went back to sleep I told everyone yeah
2: see that's good though you took accountability though
0: yeah I. that's just lying which I don't support
2: Oh, if you didn't do that. If I mean, said,
0: oh if I woke up, took a picture of my watch, which I've had people say, like, oh, I bet you just wake up. Oh, you, nah. did you ever sometimes just wake up in the morning, take yeah. a picture of watch, and you go back to sleep? No, actually, I don't do that.
2: Yeah, it, it doesn't uh, seem like you could ever bring yourself to do no. that. No, well, why would you even want it? You no. wouldn't want to do that.
0: It's a horrible scenario.
2: It kind of defeats the purpose, really. Yeah. The whole purpose.
0: So the other day, woke up, took a picture of my watch, and I was like, I gotta go gotta back to bed. It. I'm too freaking tired. So mm. I went back to bed, but you didn't post it. No, oh, I, no, no. You posted, posted it, said, but you said I went back to bed. I'm going back to bed. Said, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Hold the line for me. Yeah, I dig your cover it. for me.
2: Actually, that one time we got home, cover and
0: you. snooze. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys cover and get after. Dude. I'm gonna be over here snoozing.
2: Well, hey, that's the freedom part, though. What we always say, yeah. discipline. Yeah. You have the freedom to, hey, right. man you got to sometimes yeah. you can't like um especially if you're working out and you don't you straight up don't get enough sleep i'm not saying you don't you I don't, don't but I don't. that's not what i'm saying right now but if you you the proverbial you us when we don't get enough recovery uh huh which sleep is recovery right? that's not a good thing man so every once in a while you got to exercise that restraint in the form of the freedom to sleep in.
0: Yeah, well, I did.
2: Hey, Amen. That's part of life. Anyway, on sorry, it. Everyone. Also, the whole painting yourself in the corner. Okay, so I got this jump rope, and it's like you know the. I don't know how up to date you are on the new jump rope technology. Yeah, I, know I know they're getting better. They're yeah, they're dope. And here's the thing: if you just buy a regular jump rope, like you'll see the difference. And I mentioned that because I got an on it jump rope. I told you about the time yeah. that my neighbor taught me yeah. how to do the crossover Crossovers. thing. Crossovers and that's when it really hit me like this is a dope jump rope so if you want to upgrade your jump rope boom on it that's the one in fact just go on there see what what up see what they have they have a lot of good stuff a lot of good stuff also good way to support when we get this book by honor bound tom norris mike thornton and dick couch When you get this book, go on our website, jockopodcast.com. There's a book section, top menu. Boom, click on there. Books from podcast by episode, by the way. This is episode 89. Click through there. It'll take you to Amazon. You get your books there. Or even if you can do some other shopping, if you're going to buy a lawnmower, duct tape, whatever, (laughs) click through there. Good way to support. You know, small little action. Just one little click through. Big reaction by way of support. Also. Subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, all these podcasting providing platforms, and YouTube for the video version of this podcast, and excerpts, and some other various little video things. That's a good way to support. Also, Jocko has a store. It's called Jocko Store. JockoStore.com. There are hats there. Good hats. Trucker hats. Flex fit. Three colors. Wait, flex fit? They're flex fit.
0: Wait, they don't have the little, like, thing in the back where the you- snap back. Yeah, the snapback.
2: I think they're flex fit
0: they don't make trucker hats that are flex fit I don't think
2: they do now oh okay I'm pretty sure I'm fairly well, positive well they're they their hats basically yeah and they're they're dope
0: yeah I thought you were gonna bring me nine of them
2: yeah yeah but I you didn't, didn't I didn't do that those that hmm, um, that's a bummer Jocko yeah.
0: has a store but Jocko has no hats
2: <laughs> yeah there is a oh you know what there's this other kind of hat I think it's called like like an operator hat it's like real simple anyway I'm thinking mm-hmm. about you know Doing that one too interesting in the event of you not being as into the trucker hat as maybe something else we'll see FlexFit as well that's my thing and, uh, is FlexFit fit cool is that good yeah
0: flex fit has purpose I just have never seen a trucker's hat flex fit yeah and I doubt I'm gonna see one now
2: no nah, man it's the new stuff apparently but yeah some other stuff on there some shirts on there cool stuff Jocko even has a shirt that he designed which is cool layers if you will um, just yeah, go on I like that.
0: the way you promote the shirt that has your picture on it <laughs> You proud of that, aren't you? No, I'm not actually because want I didn't wear that one No,
2: you? I didn't want I didn't want my picture on there. <laughs> yeah, actually
0: that's true I got to give you that echo did not want to have an echo shirt
2: because it does it to I it demanded it. Yeah vetoed it It's called Jocko store.
0: <laughs> I Got some pull. Yeah at Jocko oh, yeah. store,
2: and I'm not saying <laughs> to buy the shirt I'm not saying to buy a hat I'm saying go on the store Jocko again if you like something, get something, good support. Also, psychological warfare. If you don't know what that is, it's an album with tracks, Jocko tracks, and these tracks help you get through moments of weakness in your campaign against weakness. Every once in a while, when you wage these hard campaigns against weakness, against your you know, you know waking up early, sticking to the diet, workout, all this stuff, sometimes you get moments of fatigue sometimes even the strongest have their moments of fatigue
0: that's affirmative
2: so this psychological warfare these tracks they're like little spots for those moments of fatigue get you through it no problem psychologically then you act boom so yeah that's a good one. so if you're you know waking up early like I said you're waking up early you feel like hitting the snooze listen to psychological warfare one of those tracks on there I think it's called get up and get after it. You will not hit the snooze. Good one. Yep, that's it. Psychological warfare. Jocko Willink. Anywhere. iTunes. Uh, where else? Amazon Music. All these places where you where they sell MP3s. It's
0: a good one. You can get them there. Yep. Uh, yeah, this book that that we covered today by Mike Thornton, by Tommy Norris, and by Dick Couch. You can get. You gotta get this book. Um, it's a great book. It's a great read, and that's a good place to start. So much more detail than I went over today. Yeah. When we just, as I was walking out, Mike and, and his wife, and I was telling her that I was explaining to him that it's like the debrief I wanted since I was an E four in the Navy. Yeah, that wanted to know what happened. I wanted the details. Yeah. Well, now we got them.
2: And those some crazy details, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, crazy. it's crazy. He's 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 talking about how, yeah, you know, my friend gets his like. Forehead blown off, or whatever you can see, his brain, all this stuff. Even in a movie, that, that'd that be pretty graphic. Scene, yeah, even in a movie, that'd be unbelievable,
0: yeah. Right? Like, you'd be like, Oh, well, that movie wasn't really realistic because the guy had his head blown off and then he lived. But that was the crazy
2: part, though, right? On that movie, yeah, you but know, no, really but happened. yeah, oh, well, it really happened. Oh, so he's, you know, he has him, his other guy, he shot by the way, in his leg, and he's going, you know, through the ocean, all this stuff, and shrapnel in his back from the yeah.
0: grenade that he threw back five times, yeah. <laughs>
2: I know that. It's so crazy. Yeah. And then we're sitting here and he's he's sitting right there. That's yeah. the guy who really did that, you know? He's not I mean, of course acting is cool and, and dope for, real, but that's not an actor. Yeah. That's the guy who really did it. <laughs> heavy, but that's heavy.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. Um so get the book, read about it, read the rest of the details that we barely even scratched the surface on. Um, also, some other books you can get. You can get a book called Extreme Ownership. It's about leadership. Yeah. It teaches you how to lead. Sure. It's a book that I wish I had when I was a young leader, mm. but I didn't have it. I wasn't old enough to have written it and given it back to myself yet.
2: Yeah, it doesn't work, <laughs> work like that.
0: You know? Also, well, speaking of being young, you can get another book called The Way of the Warrior Kid, which is awesome because kids all over the place, like parents now, when I'm speaking somewhere, they uh-huh. bring their kids. Yeah. So I get to meet these kids. Yeah. Kids that are getting after it, which is pretty awesome. So, way the warrior kid. So many kids are like doing pull-ups now.
2: Yeah. So I was just gonna uh, say, my thing. my daughter would be like, She's bothering me, Dad. that I want to do pull-ups. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to go. You she know. didn't get
0: that from reading Cinderella. <laughs> <laughs> Cinderella did not make her want to want to do that, yeah. right? Well, I right?
2: did. I did tell her the story of Cinderella last night, coincidentally. She really She wouldn't it. want to do any pull ups about it, though. No, it didn't compel her to go do anything.
0: No. Did it compel her to eat better? No. Did it compel her to study hard? No, she just said it was beautiful. Uh, okay. Was it. So it compelled some thoughts of beauty. Yeah, yeah. But it didn't compel any change of direction in life. No, nah, no action taken. I'm going with way of the warrior kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> sure. uh, also, Discipline Equals free Freedom Field Manual mm-hmm. is coming out. That could compel
2: you. To get after it, yeah, it it, it it could.
0: I'd check it out. There's no books like it,
2: no. And it's like a it's a manual. That's it the a manual. good part. Yeah. You know how like when you listen, you're yeah. like, okay, I can. I, you know, you kind of get a feel, but I There's like nothing the manual vague. part of it. There's nothing yeah, vague yeah.
0: about the manual. It tells you what to do. Yeah. And it also talks about some thoughts yeah. that are in my head. Mm-hmm. So it is interesting. You can get it. Appreciate it also origin maine you already covered that which is good mm. that is now us by the way we're partnered so when you start your jiu jitsu journey or if you're on your jiu jitsu journey check it out come and get it if you're on the path of getting after it
2: yeah.
0: do it with us at origin and also if you want to partner with us from a leadership perspective in your business our business, Echelon Front Leadership Consulting, that's what we do. Me, Leif Babin, JP Donnell Dave Burke, info at echelonfront.com. Don't Google and look for Jocko speaking. Because mm. that's going to give you a speakers agent. That's going to charge you more money. Is there something called like a like a bureau or speakers sign? bureau, speakers you, agent? That's okay, what they do. Okay. And gotcha. and they're trying to provide a service. Yeah. They're trying to get They're trying to connect speakers with people that need speakers But we don't need anyone to connect us with people that need speakers. You can go straight to echelonfront.com So that's that also The muster September 14th and 15th in San Diego Just to clarify the first three musters were based on the same material because we did it on the west on the east and then in the center of the country Mm -hmm. Just to clarify now that now this muster muster four is new material so it's different new approaches new stories it's not sold out yet but it will be so if you want to come register now extremeownership.com and while you're waiting for the muster if you have a quest for us you can ask that quest on the interwebs we're there on the Twitter the Instagram and that's facey boha <sighs> echo is at echo Charles and I am at Jocko Willink also snapchat
2: are you on there I
0: am on there mm-hmm. and I posted ah snap so far one snap. one snap and it disappears after 24 hours yeah so you can't go and i've got visited. I'm still working to figure out like how I'm supposed to utilize this thing, yeah, so we'll continue working on that one yeah, yeah um and that's it. That's how you can get in touch with us, and finally, to anybody else that's out there who thinks maybe you're being overwhelmed? Or you think the deck is stacked against you, or you think you can't go on anymore. Think about Mike Thornton. And remember that you are capable of so much more as long as you never give up and keep getting after it. So until next time, this is Echo and Jocko out.